0: Hey, 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 pop culture quorum sports quorum deo. This is the perfect convergence of all podcast streams. I have with me Dr. Jared Moore, the good doctor. Also, Dr. Terry Felton, the other good doctor. I am not a doctor or good. I am <laughs> Jeff Wright. Gentlemen, we are here together to talk about The Last Dance, ESPN's documentary on Michael Jordan. Terry Felton, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Jeff and Jared. Great to be with you guys and really excited to talk with you about this documentary
0: signs Dr. Moore, how are you, sir? doing well, ma'am. I'm excited too it, It's
2: like taking a taking a trip back in time and getting to share it with my kids is uh pretty amazing
0: yeah, so beautiful segue so just listener if you didn't know uh the collective the collective age of the three of us is like six hundred uh We are class of ninety nine high school graduates, and so this this time frame with Jordan. Uh, the Bulls there in the late 90s is right in our wheelhouse. And Jared and Terry and I were friends in high school, uh, if they're willing to acknowledge on public record that they were friends with me. And uh, we were very much right there in the wheelhouse of, of Bulls fans and Jordan Devotees. Uh, correct, Dr. Felton? That is absolutely correct. Uh, Jared, you um, were you a, you a big Bulls fan? I remember Terry and I talked about it because we talked about trading cards. But uh, I can't remember where your rooting loyalties lie. It wasn't that I was a Bulls
2: fan. I was a Jordan fan primarily. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I mean, I, you know, especially the later Bulls teams, I was, I was, Robin or uh, Rodman spoiled it some for me. I was not a fan of
0: Rodman at all. Yeah. A uh, late. But, but, anyways, uh, Jordan and Pippen. Yeah. Okay. So I guess 97, what are we, sophomore guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the Bulls, I mean, really, the Bulls were everything. I, I mean, no, and I'm not being, I'm not engaging in hyperbole. I remember. I mean, all three of us grew up in a rural environment, Uh, me and Terry closer to the country than Jared. There was no such thing as cable television back then. So my family bought uh, a satellite system. And this is the satellite that's largely, you know, it's as big as the room I slept in. And uh, we would scan the airwaves. Me and my mom, uh, you guys know she's the world's biggest Scottie Pippen fan. Um, We would scan the airwaves looking for WGN broadcasts. It was like um it was like a Redneck version of League Pass back then and I tried to catch every Bulls game I could
1: Yeah, I remember, you know, Jeff, you know, I didn't have the satellite dish like you had that was the size of a small aircraft, Um, but you would sometimes record, um, you know, pop in a VCR tape and you would record a game. And almost at times I saw these games on tape delay or would come to your house and we would watch Sports Center that would show highlights and we would just wait um, to see the, the Bulls highlights from the night before. And we wouldn't have to wait very long because they were always at the top or near the top of the broadcast because this team just. Drew in everybody
0: for sure. So let's let's just jump into it. So I think the place for us to start uh, as if this is any big surprise, but to just go on the record, uh, would you gentlemen agree with me that Michael Jordan is without qualification, clearly the best player, the best basketball player of all time? We'll start with Jared. Yes, absolutely,
1: Terry. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So, uh, would any of you subscribe to the theory that I, I think there's two like prevailing myths about Jordan's era and today? Uh, I don't subscribe to either one of them. Um, I'm assuming none of you subscribe to the idea that Jordan would not flourish in a more three point oriented NBA, the the one that we have today. Yeah, no way. I mean, no way. That's right. He would figure out a way to win.
2: You know. Right. I mean. He would, and he probably, I mean, he was doing things that nobody else was doing. And, I mean, I think that's kind of what set him apart in large part. And so he would do the same today.
1: Jordan's domination of the mid-range game in a day in which everything was compact And for him to still dominate the mid range, that's really a lost art in basketball now Mm -hmm. with 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 a more spread out court, open court feel. Oh, my gosh. Like he would absolutely crush it in modern um, NBA, uh, in a modern NBA game, even if he uh, had not added the three as a major component of his arsenal. And, And Jared, your point, he would find a way to win.
2: He'd probably score 40 points a game just from the free throw line based on the game today, touchy fouls versus back then.
0: Yeah, let me just commend y'all for your obvious wisdom there. Uh, I think Jordan with more spacing is going to gut the league like a fish. but also my you know my silver bullet to that idea is I think it's the '92 Finals against the Blazers. Uh, I watched the game where Jordan hit six threes and a half with my boys. I think it's '92. I may be wrong, but it's the second yes. championship. Yes. It's against the Blazers. Uh, they are clearly laying off Jordan, and he figures that out late in the first quarter, and he just starts drilling threes on them. It's the I mean, if, if anybody's not familiar, it's the famous scene of Michael hitting a three, kind of jogging past Cliff Robinson and looking over at the commentator bench and kind of. Shrugging his shoulders like, I don't know, I'm just on fire Um to look at
1: he was looking at Magic Johnson because Magic Johnson was on the call. He was the third yeah. person on that team. And he was looking directly at Magic when he sure. gave the shrug like I'm on fire. Yeah, <laughs> it so, was NBA Jam. Yeah. Jordan was on fire like the NBA Jam video game that we grew up <laughs> playing.
0: <laughs> and he was in the he was in the process of ruining Clyde Drakesler's self-image. Um so, yeah, I, I think everything you just said, I think it's it's clear just to understand the game. Jordan with more spacing today is going to be great. Jordan was always going to do whatever it took to win, and so he would have added the three point. But I think you can look within his career and see that. The three point was a the three pointer was a shot that he had. The game just wasn't set up around it. They they also tell us that the best indicator of three point success is free throw shooting, and you know he was a great free throw shooter. So I'm uh, I'm thoroughly convinced. So the other myth then would be that if you took LeBron today. Uh, LeBron would not be able to thrive in the more physical 90s basketball league. Um, I do not subscribe to that theory. I think there's a I think there's a cadre of players who are incredible who would thrive in basically any version of the game that has been seen thus far. So I think like Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Oscar Robertson, Jordan, um, LeBron, you drop them into any era of basketball that we've ever seen and they're going to thrive. Do you guys differ with that view? no I think that's right I mean LeBron wouldn't be
2: flopping if he was playing back then you know Mm -hmm. I mean it wouldn't do him any good
1: Uh, I agree with you guys Um, (laughs) greatness finds a way to be great in whatever setting that it would be in and LeBron and those other players would adapt their games for the time in which they um, were playing you know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Luel Center is a great example when they outlawed the dunk because of his dominance in college Mm -hmm. he still dominated just without the dunk. So uh yeah, those great players of, of today and yesterday, they they would find a way in that day and time. I totally, totally agree with your sentiments there, guys.
0: Yeah. And, and really specifically when I'm going through that idea, there are certain players that I think athletically would not be able to. So if you go back to, um, George Mikan from the Mm -hmm. Minneapolis Lakers, I don't, I don't know that his game would translate, but by the time you get to a guy like Bill Russell, the, the tape tells you the guy's athletically enough to figure the game out. And he's so smart. He's going to adjust and do so. So we're on the same page there. Um, I know this is sort of pretext to what we're here to talk about, but with that in mind, just so our listeners get to know us as fans, um, Terry, you go and then Jared, I'll go last. Top five greatest players of all time. If we say, if we use the criteria of when they are at the pinnacle of their physical ability and skill level, are, are, we
1: go, re, are we going regardless of position? Just the five yeah, best? Yeah. Okay.
0: So, Terry, you lead off and then Jared can go and I'll wrap up.
1: Okay. I'm going to go Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, LeBron James, Bill Russell, and oh, gosh. You know, when I think of greatest, I'm putting everything I possibly can into that, not only their ability, but but that that determination and the way they were winners and all that. I'm going to go with Tim Duncan as number five for me.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I think that's, you know. Kobe died not too long ago, and I don't want to sully the uh, the memory of the dead. But we're going to remember pretty soon that Tim Duncan was the greatest player of his generation, and not Kobe Bryant. No, no shade to Kobe. Incredible. No, none. Absolutely not. But Tim's just clearly the best. So I respect that, Felton. What about you, Doctor Moore? Um, I would do
2: would go uh, Michael Jordan for sure. Um, I would go for point guard. Go old school with a uh, Jerry West. Um, someone that you could not only that can pass, but someone who played defense, great defense. I think he was ten years all defense. Um and then I would go LeBron at small forward hmm. and um at center, I would go Shaq and I, I'm gonna cheat um I'm gonna put Wilt Chamberlain at power forward. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can get that. So let me ask you though, how is your list different if we're just talking about uh, the ability to affect the game as an individual. So no positions, just you know the five best players. If we were having a one-on-one tournament at their very peak, who would be your top five? Or is am I am I catching you cold with that?
2: Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, either and this may be recency bias, but I would stick Curry or uh,
0: even AI Allen Iverson. Oh my gosh, you're killing me, small point guard. Wow. I can't go there with you, buddy. But it's it's cool. It's your list. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm thinking like a scoring point guard,
2: you know, in yeah. history. Yeah. But, I mean, how many point guards led the league in scoring? Um, Nate
1: Archibald led it in scoring and assists.
2: Yeah, Nate might be,
1: <laughs> but but no. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, you bring Jerry West in. Total respect there um, on, on every level. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, the the, the Chamberlain shot combo uh, that is a little bit cheating, but that's all right. <laughs> they never get the ball because Iverson, you know, playing point. Though, so. Yeah,
0: that's that's my gripe with Iverson. I'm not a volume score a volume shooter fan. So yeah, uh, sorry. I think we interrupted you. So how would you round out your top five of positionless players um i still think that uh jordan at
2: shooting guard lebron james at small forward um shacker wheeled at center and then for power forward um power forward was uh was bill russell power
1: forward no so, he
0: played center i think you you know if you put him in today's game he probably would be some kind of stretch four. he would probably learn how to shoot too and his I size no oh, i love barkley you're never, you're never gonna hear me criticize barkley
2: Barkley at power forward. (laughs) (laughs) He played power forward, didn't he? Yeah, for sure.
0: He he, honestly, I think, out of every unique player that has come through the league in my lifetime, Charles Barkley is the most unicorn of unicorns. A guy who's like 6'4", maybe, dominating big men. I don't think yeah. you'll ever see that again. I mean, even Zion, Zion Williamson is the closest thing we've had yet, and he's bigger. So, yep. oh yeah, he's huge. Um, you, yeah, so I'm going to go no with no reference to position. Um, I think MJ's number one. I'm going to go Kareem number two. Mm. Uh, he had the most unstoppable shot. He was a defensive presence. I think he's probably the guy I like the least personally mm. on the list. But in terms of starting with Lou Alcindor. Uh, through the the Milwaukee Bucks years into uh, into Lakers years. So UCLA, Milwaukee, uh, the Lakers. I mean, he's just such a force on both ends of the court. So I think he's number two. I will say LeBron's number three. Um, Bill Russell is number four for me. The rings matter uh, in that evaluation, but also the intelligence combined with athleticism. And he played forever, you know, in in a league where they didn't care about conditioning and nutrition and whatnot. Uh, He he stayed around forever. And then for me, number five gets really iffy um, because of recency bias. I've tried to be a student of the NBA, but... I kind of come down to Oscar, uh, Duncan, or Larry Bird for my number five. And again, with Bird, I'm thinking about the very physical peak. You know, his back goofed him up. Mm-hmm. But young Larry Bird was so much more athletic than we think of when we think of the Larry who was, you know, playing it out with Mikhail and Perry. Still dominant, but just not the athlete he was. Early on. And so gun to my head, Larry Bird's going to be my number five. I fully confess that is probably some combination of nostalgia and recency bias pushing Oscar out. And uh, I just, I really respect Duncan. So he gets honorable mention. So MJ, Kareem, LeBron, Russell, and Bird for me,
2: man, we, we've got to get, get on 2k online and form these teams and play against each other.
1: <laughs> for real. Do, so Jeff, Jeff, does, does Kareem's, and I may be inventing a word here, aloofness really hurt him when, when a lot of people look, you know, look back in that, you know, he, he just, he, he's, he, he is so unique, not only in ability, skill set, longevity, he played Mm -hmm. 20 years in the league, but man, just that detachment, um, almost, um,
0: no, that, that's exactly what I meant when I said, I like him the least. Yeah. And I do think it, you know, it, So much of the way you and I and Jared and fans consume the game comes through players and people from the league, right? We uh, former players are GMs and they're the commentators and they're the coaches like it's just such a filter. And I can't help but think as unlikable as Kareem was, it affected the way that the media relayed uh, who he was and what he meant to the game to me. But when I watch his tape, when I look at what he did, when I read the stats, and and man, he holds up so well in modern stats as well. Just because that 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 skyhook was unstoppable; it was a guaranteed two points. He was so dominant on the defensive court. I, I do think when we get even further away, probably than you know, our lifetime, uh, in the way that like you know, some baseball people look back at Ty Cobb. And they don't have the visceral reaction to him. His stock has risen. I think Kareem's going to rise pretty quickly once there's a disconnect between those who knew him and had to put up with his surly nature.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, I, I think you know all of our guys that we mentioned. It, it's worth noting that none of them won any titles that I can think of without a competent number two guy. Mm-hmm. You know, even at, at, saying the five greatest and between our lists, basically we. Listed 10 or so of the greatest NBA players of all time, all of them had an all star level, at least one running mate with them um, when they won titles. And, you know, Kareem had Oscar in his early years. And then when Oscar got old, retired, Kareem didn't win anything until Magic. And yeah. then, you know, going on, Jordan had Pippen, you know, LeBron had, you know, Dwayne Wade or had a Kyrie Irving, you know, you know, not saying he's on the level of some of these guys, but he certainly was, you know, competent. Larry and Kyrie,
0: had Kyrie hit one of the greatest shots in NBA history. I mean, I yep. can't stand Kyrie, can yep. yep. he hit the shot.
1: All right. Clutch, clutch, clutch shot. Um, you know, Magic had, you know, his guys, Bill Russell had all-stars there, you know, in Boston. So I think it's just, you know, you really see that team, you know, team component of, Basketball, you, you've got to have those guys around you to play their roles and to, you know, if you're going to win championships.
0: Terry, did you just say teams win championships, not organizations?
1: Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I may have alluded to that. <laughs> well, so look,
0: um, I would like to talk to y'all when we get to the Pippin portion of this conversation. I assume that'll be hour three. Um, <laughs> when we get to that section, I want to talk to y'all about where Pippin stood in the league hierarchy uh, because I am the son of the founding member of the Scotty Pippin cult and I am an original member, so I, I do want to get to that, but Terry served us all so well by taking notes going through these first two episodes of The Last Dance, and so Terry, what I'm going to ask you to do is kind of walk us through a general timeline, and as topics come up connected to uh, the 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 Jordan Bulls stuff, uh, we just kind of riff on it, and um, sure. if you're cool with doing that, I'd like that you just push the, push the boat away let's, from the shore.
1: Let's go for it. So, The Last Dance picks up as the Bulls have won their fifth NBA title in seven years. And even though they've won These championships All is not well in Chicago There's obviously tension Between players in the front office And with coach Phil Jackson So they, they show um, Some of the post-game press conference After the Bulls beat the Jazz For their, their fifth NBA title And they're asking Jordan there um, About the future um, About the future of the team About the future of Phil Jackson um, And they're talking about a rebuild and jordan makes a comment that the cubs chicago cubs as a baseball franchise have been rebuilding for 42 years and he's upset saying why can't we um let as the team is constructed as the coaches are in place until we lose don't break us up don't split us up so that's kind of where we start it is the summer That is between the fifth title and the run for the sixth title. That's where we start off with this documentary.
0: Uh, I've I've got something loaded up for that, and I'm going to turn into the anger guy from Inside Out. And so I just would like to roll over. uh, I'd like to roll over to you two, two guys. Any initial thoughts? Just kind of wading into the waters of this documentary last night when you watched it.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, the role that Jerry Krauss as the general manager plays um, for this organization is going to be highlighted probably in every episode. So right out of the shoot, we're dealing with that. Unfortunately, Krauss is no longer with us. So the owner of the Bulls, Reinstorf, is the one that we're going to hear the most from um, from a management side, I would assume. It certainly was, at least in the first two episodes. So I, I can't even like, fathom that this stuff is going on, I I must have been oblivious to it, because a lot of this stuff was, was either new to me, or I had just pushed it away, because I didn't want to deal with it. You know, we'll talk about the Scottie Pippen situation when we get to episode two more. But, um, you know, everything with Phil Jackson, you know, and, and wanting to get, you know, seemingly rid of him, uh, just, it just seems mind boggling. And for Jordan to be peppered with questions after winning a championship, I mean, not only how, how, how were the expectations for this man and this team, but golly, you talk about not even being able to enjoy, you know, the moment and the accomplishment, um, you know, and that was one of, um, I believe if we go back and look, um, I think the Bulls, uh, won. Only two, I think, uh, could be right, could be three and three, um, but I think they won only two of their titles actually in Chicago. And yeah, I could be wrong, with them, so. I think that's right. I but um, this was one of them. Um, you know, Steve Kerr hits a, a shot to put him ahead, and then Pippin makes a great defensive play, and Tony Kukoc gets, a, uh, get, gets to pick up the loose ball and slam it kind of to seal the game, and the, the buzzer sounds, and, you know, confetti, and moments later, it's, hey, what about next year? Just, I mean, I can't fathom you know that being what's the the leading question right after a team has won a championship yeah jared
0: mm-hmm. any 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 additional thoughts on that that point there because i'm right with you Jer- uh sorry right with terry but i want to give you space because i'm i'm really frustrated as a bulls fan at that very point in the documentary i'll go
2: ahead man i mean i You know, Jerry thought it was about him is what it looks like. But as a kid, I didn't recognize all that, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, so as as I said, I was a huge Bulls fan and I was doing what Terry was talking about. I was watching every game I could. Um, I was reading everything I could. I had read. um, Terry, you were nice enough to send me a copy of. The Jordan Rules just a couple years ago as a gift. And when I got it and started rereading it, I realized I'd read it before. Um, so I was, you know, I was in the stream. And so one of the things that was interesting for me, I even talked to my wife about this, is that I told her I have in my mind that Jerry Krause is a cartoon level uh, villain of pettiness and stupidity. And it, it's just interesting as a guy who who sees 40 coming around the bend. I think I was right as a teenager. The Mm -hmm. the notion one that that you have Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson under contract and you are entertaining the thought of rebuilding when Jordan clearly has a few good years left in him. I mean, when he came back with the Wizards, he was a shell of himself, but a 20 point scorer. Mm -hmm. So you have Michael Jordan under contract. You have Scottie Pippen. uh, You have the rights to him and he's frustrated with you. And Phil Jackson is your coach. And on the cusp of a year when you may win a championship, you are among the very favorites of favorites to win another championship. You tell the coach and the media that this is your coach's last season after the greatest player in the world has told you that he won't play for another coach. The degree of stupidity that is attached to that decision really beggars my imagination. Now, I if you want to come with me into Jeff's depressing predictive prophecy theater, I'm going to tell you this. There is going to be a backlash that tries to re-evaluate Jerry Krause and see him as something much less awful than what this documentary uh, presents him as. But I'm telling you, as a guy who can remember those days and who's watching this documentary right now, the ver- can you imagine the... The GM of the Golden State Warriors coming out the year after Golden State wins, let's say, their second title and saying, whatever happens, this is going to be Steve Kerr's last season as the coach of this team. You want to talk about torpedoing a team and Mm -hmm. throwing discord and literally attempting to throw away a championship? It is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. And you know, I think Pippin is going to get excoriated for being under contract and um, and and not you know, choosing to get his surgery done earlier and kind of taking his frustrations publicly. I just have lived long enough to see Kobe Bryant request a trade because he's frustrated about a roster. Uh to see Shaq, you know, say, if I get injured on company time, I'm going to rehab on company time. Uh, I am much less frustrated with Scotty. But also if you have a championship caliber roster and everybody knows the second most important piece is Scottie Pippen and you know he's frustrated, the thing you do not do is say, hey, you sign the Contract and guess what? We also might trade you. Everything a GM is supposed to do, Jerry Krause is clearly throwing away. And again, I'm turning into the guy from Inside Out, but I, I, I'm I think I, this is right among us. I'm the only one who would say that his favorite NBA team has remained the Bulls. Is that correct? Yeah, Yes. Yeah. so I watched stupid Jerry Krause get to do his rebuild. He drafted Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry uh, after, by the way, he traded Elton Brand to get one of them. Um, He also had Ron Artest got rid of him. So he gets to do his rebuild around these two young high school studs. Uh, Eddie Curry never really rose to an above replacement player uh, NBA level talent. Tyson Chandler did, but far, far away from Chicago because guess what? You don't build your team around two kids who used to be in high school three months ago. And he Mm -hmm. put the bulls in the wilderness basically until Derrick Rose dropped out of the heavens into their lap with a draft pick. (laughs) And thankfully, by that point, Jerry Krause couldn't screw stuff up. So just the notion that you had these guys, they had the opportunity to go win another championship. And you are so petty that you can't put uh, your need for glorification aside. Dude, forget about it. Again, I know he's going to be rehabilitated. I've already seen it online. (laughs) Oh, Jerry Krause isn't as bad as everybody makes him out to be. He absolutely is. I don't think Pippen and Jordan speaking to him the way they did is appropriate. But I do believe they were expressing legitimate anger. That is, it makes you incredulous even right now that he would ever come anywhere close to putting the team in this kind of situation. So I will climb off my soapbox. I will wipe the spittle from my mouth. Tell me where I've overreacted.
1: To, to, to even just pre report more, Ronsdorf. Um, okay, so Phil Jackson was on record saying that he was told that even if you win 82 games, this is your last year.
0: How stupid.
1: And, and that is a, a, after the fact of Reinsdorf going to Montana and basically negotiating the deal for Phil to come back for one more year.
0: Okay, so, so, low, so low key, so, I'm not going to so go in- back in my rant mode here. But that's the you're, you're getting at the right thing. It's actually Reinsdorf that's the problem, and he's the one who's continuous between this era and then all that's been awful about the Bulls since. So anyway, I'm just going to step back out. But yes, thank you for noting Reinsdorf.
1: Well, just you know, so so Reinsdorf is doing the job of Krauss that he's supposed to be doing for him, but yet he keeps him on as the the GM. And, and you know, brought him in after buying the team, and and it's it's sort of in this time frame that we hear about all this tension in the in the. Um, after the season's completed in the off season, that then they kind of push the pause button on the year 1997 and then they take us back. So is there anything else you guys want to highlight on the first, um, you know, half, uh, uh, quarter to half of the, the documentary before we go back and we meet Mike Jordan?
0: Just that. And this is not really... You know, connected to the doc. But on the point about Reinsdorf, um, Reinsdorf had up until last month kept Gar Foreman and John Paxson in a leadership role in his organization when they clearly demonstrated they were out of their depth. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy who he he just wasn't involved enough with his franchise or he's terribly He's the underrated villain here because he, he loves the White Sox. He brought Krause in as you know, a baseball guy. And he has shown through the subsequent decades that he just stays with people far too long. So the the problem with the Bulls is that Jerry Reinsdorf got the gift of Michael Jordan. And I want to be real clear here. Only got six championships out of him. Whoa.
2: I think that's fair. So, I uh, mean, he, he kept... I mean... I don't know. He kept leaving and coming back. And I know that was some of that was boredom or whatever you want to say. Mourning his
0: dad too, I think, threw him in a yeah. tailspin. Yeah. But is yeah, it, perhaps. if more that, if that's Mark Cuban or uh, you know, Joe Lacob, you're you're looking at Jordan who they find a way to give him time off to breathe. Now mm-hmm. in that in, in Reinsdorf letting him play baseball, I think that was probably one of the wisest things he could do. Uh, but I still think a better owner knows how to keep peace and harmony in such a way that Jordan can heal from losing his dad and feeling like he needed another challenge, uh, but still pick up at least another chip uh, against the Rockets, probably. Uh, and then probably have at least two more title runs after the, the final three-peak. Now, don't get me wrong, it's hard to, to continue to play you know, 100 games a season but Jordan was the guy to do it. I don't know that any other superstar other than Kobe would be willing to put his body through it. But Jordan did.
1: And and I think in the Jordan era with the Bulls, um, the Rockets with Olajuwon at the level he was playing at would have posed the greatest challenge for them. Oh, for sure. And, and and I would have loved to have seen that final series rather than the the Knicks and the Rockets um for you know or even the Rockets and a young Orlando Magic team.
0: Absolutely. And and here's the thing, it's hard to win like eight championships in a row. So I don't think it's locked in. No. Nope. But I do think you're looking at more finals appearances, possibly more championships, and a longer run of championship level contention if Reinsdorf has a better hand on the throttle. Hmm. So anyway, my, my rant's over. You said we're going back to UNC? Yeah, so
1: the, the, the documentary then takes us back to UNC. It references how Jordan was um, uh, fairly unknown as a high school recruit until he went to a UNC uh, basketball camp. I think it was his junior, maybe, going into his senior year. And I uh, love them having current North Carolina head coach and former UNC assistant when Jordan was a player there, Roy Williams. Um, on the dock and um, him being able to give real insight for them as a coach and for that time there. And um, I'm not sure if it's if it's the first part or the second part, but Roy Williams makes a makes a comment that Michael Jordan was the only player he ever saw who could turn it on and turn it off. But he never, ever turned it off. And if that doesn't speak to the competitive fire of MJ, you know, I don't know what does. Um, <laughs> they, they they interview James Worthy, who James Worthy was the number one pick in the 1982 draft. Worthy said Jordan came on to the scene. Worthy's a senior. Jordan's a freshman. And James says, I was the best player on that team for about two weeks. And, and this is a number one pick, consensus All-American and, and NBA is, Hall of Famer. NBA Hall of Famer is is a guy who helps lead that team to the national title. Uh, Jordan's freshman year worthy's senior year. And he says, yep, two weeks. He, he was better than me. And then they chronicle Jordan's UNC career. Um, certainly they note when he makes the shot as a freshman that uh, puts North Carolina ahead and they beat Georgetown for the NBA title or for the NCAA title. Excuse me. Um i I Did you guys see the highlight? Jordan is playing Duke, and he jumps up to block a shot and hits his head on the backboard. And then he's sitting on the bench with ice on his head.
0: And it was a chase down block. Yes. Uh, Um, Yes, I saw it. And let me just tell you, I levitated about three feet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, You you don't like Duke, Jeff? Is that
0: right? So, listener, if you don't know this about me, I, I fell in love with basketball through Michael Jordan, and because the University of Tennessee in my home state was not good at all, I worked my way back from Jordan to become a North Carolina fan. And I think, just because I'm a Christian, I hate Duke. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, that stuff, uh, just seeing the glory days of UNC and Michael Jordan and uh, even Roy, you know, Roy, uh, Terry, you and I have talked about this off air. I love Roy. Uh, you know, I would buy Roy a meal any day he wanted one uh, out of my, my pocket. I think it's probably uh, the sunset years for Roy, but he's perfect in this. He's got that yeah, accent. He's got that grin and he's got a real connection. He's the living connection to Dean Smith. Yeah. Uh, and so to get the conversation combination of the Dean family tree and Roy who is the inheritor along with those clips Um, I mean honestly footage wise it's probably been my favorite stuff so far because I wasn't watching Jordan in college I was one year old when he hit that shot Um, Mm -hmm. and so it's just been you know I knew Jordan was a good player you can't be a good player uh, you can't be the third pick in the NBA draft and not be a pretty good college player back in those days I just didn't realize what he was I knew he hit the shot I didn't know much between that and so watching it build out has been a revelation Mm from
1: yeah it's been said that dean smith was the only person ever capable of holding jordan under 20 uh points per game because he instilled the team you know it was a team game he put team concepts in and um you know jordan jordan does not go off on these scoring barrages in college um that he would do in the pros not because he didn't have it in him but because he had Dean Smith as his coach, and did you guys hear Jordan say he was he was leaning toward coming back to UNC for his senior year? Yeah, how crazy! But it was it, Dean Smith said, "No, you need to go pro." Yeah, yeah,
0: that yeah it blew my mind because just the thought that Jordan would be in college till a junior year
1: uh, yeah.
0: is mm. is wild now. Yeah. The, the yeah. point you're making about Dean is so good. You can hear Dean in Jordan's interviews in those clips because he says, they ask him what it feel like to make that shot. He says pretty quickly, I was really happy to have made a contribution to our team. And then when he's doing his pregame interviews, uh, excuse me, his post draft interviews, rather he talks about the team or he talks about anything, you know, they're like, Hey, what do you think? Can you turn this around? He's like, I just, you know, I think maybe we can get in there and get to work and help the team get better. And I'm like that. That's, you know, the spirit of Dean Smith has possessed him or is
1: still possessing him at that
0: moment. Mm.
1: Jared, what what else about Jordan's college years um, struck you?
2: I mean, something about, and it's not just with Jordan, but I've seen it with, uh, I mean, y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I think with like um, Anthony Davis, David Robinson, um, Dennis Rodman, and Michael Jordan, they're all, and even it sounded that way, similar with Pippen, that they were almost late bloomers as far mm-hmm. as height, mm-hmm. as far as athletic ability. But I don't know. I think, I think there's uh, – there's a lesson that can be learned there um in that you you know if you really want something um if you really want to uh, be a basketball player or anything in life um I mean what if they had stopped you know yeah. genetics I mean, helps yeah, yes. well, it does. But but if they had stopped pursuing, uh, you know, if, if I was coaching, I would emphasize, of course, the fundamentals. Like, I mean, how many you know, how many times even in our own, own hometown? And, and I, I look at some of the athleticism that has come through UT University men's basketball and and even in some of the high school games that we've seen of these these guys are just unbelievably athletic, um, but uh, but didn't emphasize the, the fundamentals and didn't have that fire, you know, that Jordan had. And I don't know that you can coach that fire, but I, I do think um, there's a lesson to be learned as far as emphasizing perseverance. And um, even with Rodman, I mean, I,
0: I've, I saw the other documentary on Rodman. Have y'all watched that on ESPN? Is it the bad boys documentary from 30 for 30? It's like about the whole Pistons bad boys team?
1: No, now you're talking about th- the individual one, aren't you, Jared?
0: Yeah, I think okay. the individual one. I've seen but the, I bad the bad boys. i the individual too.
2: one. The bad boys one was awesome too. Um, but Rodman didn't. He was JUCO. Mm-hmm. You know, he he just happened to get on a JUCO he, team for. He was
1: him. JUCO and went to NAI Both and he was he working as like a
0: janitor after that for a while, right?
1: Both he and Pippen have a very similar story mm-hmm. with the very small, small school to mm-hmm. the NBA path.
0: Yeah, I think I think
2: and wasn't David Robinson, didn't he grow like six inches when he cause when he was in the military?
1: Yeah, Robinson. Uh, he signed up to be in the brutal. Navy and then became seven feet. Yeah. <laughs> you can't spit
0: in a sub. <laughs> what do <are> you do? <laughs> or, a, you know, through a bulkhead. Yeah. But
2: but. uh I don't know, man. I I just think like with my with my kids, there's a lot of positives that you can point to with Jordan. Um, You know, he he didn't give up. And there's there's that reality to grit. And even with us in the ministry, you've got to have a grit to you, a willingness to. I mean, we believe what we're doing is the Lord's will, but you have to you have to keep going. Turn the page, preach the text. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't really see um a lot of the payoff now we mm. get we get glimpses here and there um but you think of like in basketball and sports you bust your tail all summer and they're spending years and years and years and before they see these amazing payoffs i mean how many times did jordan lose you know mm-hmm. uh, how many times did um he get to the playoffs and get out before the the champions and oh,
0: championship yeah. Yeah, he'd been in the league what seven years before he won a title. Yep. Uh, yeah. See, and, I mean, there's so
1: much there. And how and how does Michael Jordan only win one college title in three years? Yeah, you at know, UNC,
0: I, which is a recruiting powerhouse.
1: Yeah, well, you yeah. know, you had got Sam Perkins was a really good college player. You know, like he he was surrounded by you know really good talent and stuff. So um, yeah, those UNC years were formative. And you know, I know we're we're never going to go back to this, but. You had a chance to get to know the player or, or know who was part of the team that you really were cheering for in college. Um, and Jordan being there three years helped form his game. And I know we're, we're, we're never going to see that again in our lifetimes, I don't believe. But there's something to being able to see those um, teenagers grow into young adulthood and um, grow with their skill set. Um, playing for a college team. And that was something just was also, I think, captured well and hit on how formative it was for Jordan.
0: Yeah. yeah not,
1: go ahead. Jared. I, I
2: I think uh, something else that helped him was he I mean, he seemed to have a good head on his shoulders even when they're interviewing him early. And even in the the middle of that documentary, uh, the first episode, and they're talking about the drugs and alco- mm-hmm. alcohol and how and he says, I didn't drink. I didn't. He was focused on almost like a almost like a military man focused on training. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I've yeah. got a A job to do. If I'm going to be the best, if I'm going to get reach these goals, there are certain things I must do. And uh, I just, I I was amazed at that. That he had because I, I I was thinking. I mean, this is another sport, but I can't remember who. I think it was Tony Romo back when Tony Romo played for the Dallas Cowboys. He asked him who they asked him who the most athletic guy on the team was, and he said Pac-Man Jones. Hmm. And that that Hmm. just blew my mind. You know, a cornerback that. I mean, evidently had the best natural ability on the team, but he wasn't the best player, mm-hmm. and he could have been.
0: <sighs> I and I pack, Man!
2: Yeah, I mean, he well, he was a club as he a Tennessee time fan. I'm just
0: over here looking at scars.
2: <laughs> yeah, he he would go. I mean, he would always. You got you got stories of him getting arrested. You got. I mean, yeah. it, it's just it just blows my mind when people have so much talent, and what you have <laughs> is guys like Jordan, and you have in Kobe, and and LeBron, the people who have the athletic ability and put the work in. I mean that's what distinguished and you know the th- the three things right would be the the natural athleticism god-given the work ethic and just the I'm going to beat you, <laughs> you know? yeah
1: yeah J- Jared um to your point before the Pac-Man Jones reference which I'm impressed you worked an Adam Pac-Man Jones reference into a <laughs> conversation about Michael Jordan while at UNC We rolled deep um, y'all but um <laughs> If you remember that documentary uh, or that video uh, biography, Come Fly With Me, of Jordan recorded in the late 80s. Yes, Um, put it in my veins. his, His dad was encouraging him to consider the Air Force Academy. Oh, wow. I that's believe amazing. Jordan's older brother, not the one he referenced that beat him up all the time. I, I believe the brother Ronnie, I believe, actually served in the military. And I may be wrong there, but I do think some of that discipline and some of that focus, man, you see even already alluded to um, Michael Jordan's mom and dad and the, the influence they had over their son and how even in the early years in Chicago, they would go and stay with him, you know, in mm-hmm. In Chicago in those early years, and I think you know one of the the, the redeeming things I think we're going to see out of this is really that nuclear family that Jordan had mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was so significant in his upbringing. And then they said to Dean Smith in University of North Carolina, "We trust you with our boy." And it doesn't seem in any way, shape, or form that um, that place was mistrust or that that trust was misplaced. Excuse me, um, but it was spot on, and it was where Jordan needed to be um, for his college career.
0: Yeah, I've been watching this with my wife, who who knows I'm a Jordan cultist, who knows I'm raising her boys <laughs> to be in the Jordan cult. Um, but it kind of gives me an outsider perspective to watch it with her. Mm. And like y'all, I was just struck by how much a dad matters, oh, how much a mom matters, but how much a dad matters, how much siblings matter and how it had clearly formed Jordan. Now, Jordan became a man who was... I think given to a lot of vice, but he was not that young man coming into North Carolina or out of it, into the NBA Um, watching it with my wife. One thing that really just blew me away that I had almost forgotten, even though I could remember seeing it growing up in the deep South, did y'all catch that his mom in her interviews referred to her husband as Mr. Jordan. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the first time it happened, I thought, what, what, what did she call him? And then she said the second time and my wife said, how classy. Uh, um, now, here's the thing. I think probably today we hear that as demeaning that a wife would call her husband Mr. Jordan. I don't get any sense that anybody in her family has ever demeaned Michael Jordan's mom. Uh, mm-hmm. When you hear them talk about their family, they 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 revere her. And I just remember thinking, you know, we we live in this language of privilege, right? And there are people who argue that like if a child is read to at night, that child is privileged over and against. Um, kids who don't have those things read to them. and I'm not denying that it's a tragedy that, that kids grow up in homes where they're, they're not cared for well. I, I, fully it is. But if that's privilege, the Lord is in the in you know he's in the business of commanding privilege and kids really need it and thrive under it. And so you're not going to get Michael Jordan, but he's a great example of a guy growing up as a young black man in the South who, who made a wonderful life for himself. And you can directly connect it to growing up in a stable nuclear family. I don't think we want to. I mean, so let me just give you the, the contrast. My, uh, Jared, you talk about how Mike goes into that room. People are doing weed, cocaine, sleeping around. He walks out. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a theory out there that I think has some credibility to it that Jordan's most likely natural uh, 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 antithesis or or I shouldn't say antithesis nemesis would have been Lynn Bias. What took mm-hmm. Lynn Bias? Yeah. He overdosed on cocaine. Yeah. And the NBA was eaten up. It almost killed the league. There's something in his parents' formative household, handing him off to a coach who would continue that and staying actively engaged with him. That at least in part gave him the resources to say, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my hotel room. I'm not going to get busted by this. And when I get home, mom and dad are coming to see me.
1: Yep. Uh-huh. So so Jordan wraps up the time at UNC. He's drafted third by the Chicago Bulls. Um, I I want to say this. I appreciate that they noted Elijah went one. Every draft pundit said Elijah should go one. There wasn't sure. anyone arguing that. Now. I also appreciate that they didn't belabor the point of Portland taking Sambuie over Jordan. The league was different. They had drafted Clyde Drexler they thought we will be okay. Hindsight definitely tells us something different. But there have been so many things said about the Sambuie pick over Jordan. And I just feel like that has been so driven in the ground. I appreciate them. I appreciate them noting it. But not making another documentary on it when they've already made two or three already about it. Yeah, that's a and good they, point. They sort of they got Jordan to the Bulls. And like you guys have said, the, the, the Bulls, the 84-85 Bulls were, and they, this made Jordan laugh, almost cackle, the traveling cocaine circus. <laughs>
0: that,
1: that, that's what uh, writers noted the 84-85 Chicago Bulls. And, and Jordan gets drafted to that team, um, and he's going to make choices that do not put him in that environment. But did you guys catch the post-draft analysis on Jordan being picked by the Bulls from a beardless Utah center-jazz center, Mark Eaton, saying, well, it's a team game? And then Walt Clyde Frazier says, you know, you don't have a big man. So I I just found that interesting because that's where the league was at. You know, the big man was everything. And you could really argue that the big man in the NBA was everything until— the mid '80s, you can make the case. I think for Bird and the Celtics overcoming that, but
0: well, you know, McHale and George, Parish. Remember, Bird yes. even says it in this these episodes. He says they were near seven foot, and we had Walton,
1: and they had Walton, and, and so you had a few outliers there. You, you know where? Okay, so maybe a, a Super Sox team that wins the title in either '78 or '79. I can't remember which one um, that they beat the Bullets, and the Bullets beat them the other year. Maybe that team doesn't have a dominating center. I think you can make the case that Jordan comes into the league as the the league is shifting to being a guard-oriented league. And that was in large part to Michael Jordan's um, arrival there.
0: Absolutely right. I think that the visual appeal of Michael Jordan uh, compelled young athletes to consider playing on the perimeter versus the post. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that post-Jordan, we've actually went back to a big man's league But we're now a big man's league where they play like guards. Anthony Davis, Giannis, Kevin Durant, LeBron. Those guys are all, they would have been traditional post players before Jordan. But they grew up watching Michael Jordan on the perimeter in the same way that you're going to eventually see, because some kid who's going to grow up, maybe this Wiseman kid from Memphis, some kid is going to grow up watching Steph Curry shoot crazy threes. He's going to hit 6'11", and he's going to play purely on the perimeter and be an incredible shooter. And we're not going to be able to do anything about it because his release point will be seven feet in the air. Crazy man, but you're right. You're absolutely right.
2: We yeah. follow our heroes, and they change the league. Like mm-hmm. for those who come after them. Yeah. And I mean,
0: without Jordan, would there have been a Kobe? You know, that's and, a great question. I mean, Kobe yeah. would have showed up somewhere, but Kobe might have been Sidney Moncrief to you know to reference somebody who's in this documentary.
1: Right. That's right. So the um we we reference Jordan's rookie year, how he takes the league by storm. Hey bev- Terry, before I, you yeah,
0: move, yeah, I just yeah. want to note. Yes, I did notice the Eaton thing, and I just started cackling, thinking about Jordan dunking on him all the time. <laughs> I, I think it is Mark Eaton that is the subject of one of the famous Jordan stories. I think when Eaton's on the jazz, Jordan goes into the paint and dunks on somebody. and a, And a fan screams out, pick on somebody your own size. He like dunked on a guard. And so within two or three possessions, he dunks on, I think, Mark Eaton and goes back to the fan and says, was he big enough for you?
1: There, there are definitely images of Michael Jordan dunking on Mark Eaton in my childhood. I know they definitely happened.
0: The other thing there, just not to spend too much time on this, but can you imagine how insane? Uh, I think a GM would be fired on the spot if he had Clyde Drexler on his team and turned down Michael Jordan now. Oh, yeah. Uh, we play positionless basketball. Like I said, it's all big men who can play like perimeter players. Uh, the equivalent would be someone turning down the opportunity to draft Giannis if they had Kevin Durant on their roster. Uh, I think a, a, a competent GM would have a heart attack from Joy. Uh, an incompetent GM would be immediately fired if he even voiced the idea, well, we've got Drexler, maybe we, sh- you know, we shouldn't take Jordan. It's just... In that way, the league looks like hieroglyphics versus you know Microsoft Word. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: well, and 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 we've got so many players wanting to buddy up. Okay, so yeah, that's Portland Portland didn't draft Michael Jordan. Well, let's just let Jordan play his contract out, and either Cloud will come to the Bulls or Jordan will go to the yeah. the Blazers. You know, Um so so yeah, um I think that. It, it confounds us, but in that day and time, Made you sense. built your starting five: traditional point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Yeah, for sure. And every NBA team was a carbon copy of one another in that they had those lineups.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And I, I, we were moving on to better stuff. I just wanted to note that no. Eaton gets dunked on and becomes the subject of a Jordan legend. And of course, like if you could go back right now in NBA 2K and put Drexler and Jordan on the same team, uh, that would be you. You could run the table in a in a franchise. You know what I mean? So,
2: you yeah. know, you know something. Something that's interesting. I just thought of. I forgot about is the def- defensive three second rule. Yeah, yeah, that that wasn't back then. I mean, mm-hmm. George sliced up these big guys without. I mean, they could just camp out down there.
0: Oh, I mean, that was the piston strategy. The other thing that I think nobody thinks about is the, the hand check rule. You, mm-hmm. you could put your arm, your forearm in a player's back uh, mm-hmm. and manipulate them while you're on defense. I, that's why I, I just think it's silly. Silly is the best word I have for it, to think Jordan wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I think if he wanted to, like you said, he could score 40 a game easy. He would gut the league as a fish. The, you know, can he, can he overcome the Golden State Warriors or whatever? I don't know, but he's not going to have a problem being effective.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, So Jordan takes the league by storm. I believe he was third in the NBA in scoring as a rookie, 28.2 points a game. Um, I did some digging Um, after Jordan's second year. So the foot injury year after that, which we'll talk about that in just a minute. Every year that Jordan played with the Bulls, that he played a full season. He led the league in scoring. The only two years he didn't lead the league in scoring after his uh, third year coming off the foot injury was the full season he didn't play. And then that. Half, two-thirds of a season they didn't play. Unreal. And he led the league in scoring every year um, in that time frame. So so Jordan wraps up the rookie year. He wins rookie of the year, hands down. I'm going to put this out there. The 85, and there's just a few snippets, the 85 slam dunk competition between him and Dominique Wilkins may be the coolest one ever. Um, it's Michael certainly the Jordan. most
0: like mythological. And I'm going to use that word multiple times here. But, yeah, it's the one that everybody looks back to is like yeah,
1: so, the creation so, myth. You know, 88's the one when Jordan dunks from the foul line in Chicago. You can make a case. I went back and watched this uh, this dunk contest in the 88 one over All-Star Weekend this year. Um, you can make the case Dominique may have had the better dunks, but Jordan had the home crowd. He dunked For from sure. the foul line. Yeah. 85, Jordan with that gold chain on mm-hmm. doing some of those dunks. That just was spectacular.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jordan's dunks. Are are fairly pedestrian in contrast to what we saw, and maybe even what Dominique was doing, uh-huh. even in comparison. Like by the time D Brown's jumping and like covering his arm, covering his eyes with his arm, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. But Jordan would do stuff with his limbs that made it look so artistically compelling. You know what I mean? Like when he's in the dunk contest, it's yeah, it's it's an, it's a feat to jump from the free throw line, which he did multiple times. But it's the way he splays out that makes you think like athleticism has become incarnate.
1: Uh-huh. Jordan's rookie year is capped with him winning the rookie of the year. Chicago is infused as a franchise. People are selling out um, the, the arena now every night to see this kid. Um, the Bulls don't have really any pieces around him, and they're going to start making moves because obviously the, the team doesn't want to win like Jordan does. And so they push the pause button there, and they jump us back. To 1997, and they show the Bulls going overseas and playing in this McDonald's International Tournament um, held in Paris, France. And they show just the mob scene of people coming and going, wanting the Bulls. And the Bulls are playing against these international squads. And, um, of course, they win the tournament. And there are two things I, uh, I wanted to point out to you guys Um Coming uh, out of this little clip, one was at the uh, the games winding down, the Bulls obviously have it well in hand. Jordan is sitting on the bench and Scott Burrell, one of the Bulls reserves, who I guess is with the Bulls for the first time. That's his first season with them. And he starts talking about winning a championship and wanting to give Jordan five. And Jordan just totally shuts him down and is like, no, this isn't a championship.
0: Yeah, he was so serious. He finally started smiling after Burrell mentioned his kids. His kids, yeah. Uh, so, so that's Burrell. I, you know who I, I thought that was Dicky Simpkins. Uh, I'm Good sure job. you're right, um, but I, in my head, my my proto child memory said Dicky Simpkins is maybe, back.
1: Maybe so, maybe so, but I think it was Burrell because <laughs> Burrell would have been playing Pippen's position because Pippin was was hurt at this point and wouldn't have played in this thing, so he would have been down there with Jordan. I think. I think, but I could be proven wrong. The other thing, at the end of the game, the, the the team that they played or they're, you know, giving handshakes, high fives, whatever, and one of the French players asked for Jordan's armband is mm-hmm. at the fifty four minute mark of the of the documentary. So they're leaving the court and he's like, Can I have that? And Jordan kind of looks at him and is mm-hmm. like, Okay, takes his armband off and hands it to him.
0: Don't you I think mean, that had to be exhausting?
1: Yeah, I mean and, and granted, like we see players exchange jerseys now, it's this thing, but but Jordan wanted nothing from this other player. He just wanted to to get done with the festivities and get back home yeah. and this guy is saying please can i just have this and and we've already seen that on this same tournament there's a reporter who asks for an autograph and Jordan mm-hmm. gives him the death glare <laughs> and, and 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 someone associated with either the 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 team or uh, the the news coverage comes and says no don't do that and the guy's like oh well kind of like i gave it a shot you know um yeah but can you yeah we, we can't even put i think into perspective how much um the celebrity would have been so draining um, for him and you know this was 25 years ago when his every move was not charted and discussed yeah and that's certainly different and, you know yeah that's certainly different now
0: so there's a fun story outside of the the uh, documentary that kind of illustrates this too the Bulls just replaced uh Gar foreman and John Paxson with an executive from the uh, from the nuggets named Arturis Karnasovas. He played against the dream team uh, when he was a younger man. And he, I was listening to an interview with him when he came out of the game, he sat down uh, beside the bench and had his uh, family bring him a a camera. And he started taking pictures of the dream team. It's unreal. The level of fascination, even competitors had for whom you know, who Michael Jordan was pretty early on. You know what I mean? Like, um, We'd already seen him on an international stage, and so I'm guessing he was probably more of a known quantity among the international basketball community from 84. Um, and it just spirals up the more that mass media can send his images out around the world. There, you know, there are people in Lithuania doing what I was doing in Walling with, with a giant satellite looking at this stuff, you stuff. Know? That's right. Mm-hmm. You that's know,
2: right. buddy, that's, uh, that's, that's something else. The Dream Team and NBA players playing in the Olympics since then. I mean, it was... That's the reason why the NBA's worldwide now, you know, and players are so much better.
0: Sure. The NBA's gonna be
2: global. Overseas. Yeah. I mean that you they I mean the NBA slaughtered slaughter I mean the dream team slaughtered everyone and so did several teams after that. But it wasn't long till teams,
0: foreign teams, kept getting better and better and better. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got yeah. Argentina's golden generation. Spain was, you know, a trouble for a long time there with the Gasol brothers. Um, you're, you're right. They now the NBA has owned that. Like the NBA has started doing global camps and stuff. I think they're starting an Africa league when when the world starts spinning again. But uh, it, it, you know, Jordan was part of the the global expansion of the game. It, you know, even the Dream Team probably doesn't happen in the way it did if it weren't for Jordan. I, I don't well, want to far ahead we'll get there well, in this series well and i
1: and i'll throw you back 4 years and say the united states College all stars losing in the '88 Olympics
0: mm-hmm.
1: pushes forward all of this.
0: Yeah, we're gonna we're and not gonna
1: put like up you, with it. And like you guys said, you know, after the Dream Team, the original one '96 was it 04 or 08 when they did not win, um, and they had to have the or they had to have the Redeem Team because they, they had lost in World Championships and mm-hmm. fewer and fewer of the superstar NBA players were playing. Mm-hmm. So even just what the international game has become um, is fascinating. Um, and so it's it's here and season or uh, episode one wraps up with jordan and the bulls getting back um home to chicago and it's opening night phil is back for his final year and they're doing the ring ceremony and the banner um for the bulls fifth title and it's here where um the shift goes off jordan for a little bit to scotty pippen anything you guys want to bring up before we start talking about pippen
0: Yeah, no, I mean, there's stuff we could talk about, I'm sure, but I'm anxious to get to Pippen, so let's do it. Jared, anything? No, same thing, man.
1: Okay, so Michael Jordan early on says when they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak about Scottie Pippen. And we see Pippen um, dealing with an injury, um, and he is not playing with the Bulls in 97 as the season starts. Um, He elected to have his surgery um, for his injury, Um, not during the off season, but rather have it during um, the start um, or have it uh, as the season started up and um, Jordan said Scotty was wrong for doing that he he comes out and says Scotty was wrong for that but Scotty as you're going to find out has more tension with the Bulls and with the front office than um, we may even have remembered or known about and then we transition back to Scotty Pippen um, what his life was like before he became an NBA superstar and um, we find out that Scotty Pippen was one of 12 children he came from a family of 12 siblings, um, that his dad had been paralyzed by a stroke and his one of his siblings had been paralyzed when he had been hurt, um, basically at school in a PE class when some kids sound like they were horsing around or something and something went really wrong. So Pippin said he had two family members in wheelchairs um, and and semi, seemingly came from, from a, a level of poverty in Hamburg, Arkansas, of all places and then we followed Pippin from there to Pippin um wanting to play basketball and um Basically, walking on at Central Arkansas as an equipment manager. Unreal. Uh, and they noted he was six foot one, one fifty five. Jared, you, you noted this earlier. Um, the growth spurts he and Jordan both have. Um, context: Pippen 155 as a college freshman. As he enters the NBA, he's six seven, about two hundred five, two ten. Mm. So Pippen says some guys did not make the grades, and I basically begged the coach to let me have a scholarship he does pippin has this enormous growth spurt and then everything begins to come together for scottie pippin the player and he begins to dominate the naia um just in, in, you know, that that's even below NCAA division one, two, or three, very small schools, um, mm-hmm. l- you know, limited resources. And yet this kid blossomed seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and, and I've got a little quiz for you guys um, when we get to Pippin's being drafted. Um, but uh, what were your guys thoughts and, and some of those highlights of Scottie Pippen in college that, and, and just him and his upbringing, what, what do you guys want to say to that?
0: You go first, Jared. I, like I said before, and I've already been chattering my head off, but I've got <laughs> I've got thoughts.
2: I mean, it, it seemed like he was he was used to to being without he had to work for everything he had. Um, he was content with little. And I, I think that it sounds like the Bulls took advantage of that. Um, I say little. Right. It wasn't little, but, you know, little comparatively for what he was doing and for who he was, you know, to be in the <laughs> he should have been in the top 10 and pay.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and
0: yeah, uh, now there's some context that I think informs this conversation, but maybe we can talk to it after after the college thing because yeah, that's a big deal for me. Like Pippin's pay is a big deal for me.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: but uh, but his upbringing and his he
2: him serving others, and it I don't know. It was just uh. He seemed to still have that nuclear family, though, like an yeah. emphasis on that nuclear family. And even and not just Pippen, I, I'm sure. Well, we'll get to Rodman later on. But Rodman had it almost adoptively yeah. you know, when he yeah. was in when he was in college. Um, but uh, yeah. but anyway, Terry, I so, oh, I'm sorry. sorry.
0: What? I, I stepped on you continuing your thought. And I'm sorry I yeah. did. So carry
2: on. Uh, that's OK. I was just um, I was amazed at his siblings. I was amazed at the emphasis on family and i mean it, him and jordan came from similar worlds it seems as far as being pushed and being um i mean jordan's family was better off it seems but um but i mean i i really i really appreciated that and then the even the walking on and fighting um for the position and then growing and i mean it's just such a it's an awesome story man and to to see that team get put together and knowing where they all come from it's just uh, it's it's cool. My my ten my twelve year old um, sitting and watching this with me and um, and I say nah, when we got done I said now nah, you understand why Jordan's the goat and he said yes nice raising <laughs> them so right awesome. that's right but uh, but yeah Pippen his uh, his his defense and his I mean he was just. He was amazing. even some of the best dunks in Bulls history are Pippen on Ewing, you know. Dude, Pippen still—I
0: mean, Ewing still wakes up in a cold sweat over that one. Oh man, I love well, that dunk.
1: We, we, we yeah, we, we will get to, to Patrick Ewing. He made that—he <laughs> made that quick appearance about when Jordan hit the shot. Did you guys notice what kind of um, shirt he was wearing?
0: Uh, Georgetown with a T-shirt underneath it. Um,
1: it looked he was wearing. It looked like a Georgetown shirt, but in the uh, upper corner, it looked like there was a Michael Jordan um, Air Airman logo on that. So oh, even yeah. now
0: he's working for Brand Jordan.
1: E- even now, um, Jordan is um, over Patrick Ewing. Jordan but yeah, awesome. But,
0: awesome.
1: What what Pippin? Awesome. What Pippin becomes? I mean, th- that's it. You alluded to it earlier, you know, as well, Jared. Like you know, Pippin is that story of just the love of the game i want to keep playing and then the 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 drive the work ethic then
0: suddenly
1: this god given like ability comes up on him you know in, in in the most just in crazy ways in a in crazy places um, as well. And I don't know if there's truth to this or not, listeners, but um, it was implied that the scout who found Dennis Rodman is the same scout who is credited with finding Scottie Pippen and beginning to. And I guess this was an NBA scout who just scoured the NAIA circuit, um, if you will. Um, but again, to put his name out there in front of, of people. Um, Jeff, would um, Scottie Pippen in college make you uh, think about
0: well, I'd never seen the footage before, yeah, yep, and of course, it's the n a i a man, but you see everything like mm-hmm. like Scotty perfectly scaled from the n a i a to his eventual n b a career mm-hmm. um to throw back to Jared, you know it's one of those deals I don't know if you guys have this uh with your spouses the way I do with my wife, but um. There's times when I'm like, oh, this is going to show her what a genius I am. And what actually ends up working out is she thinks I'm just, I know a lot about stupid things. But <laughs> when when we were going through the Jordan got cut section earlier in the doc, I I paused it and I said, because uh, they mentioned Jordan was 5'10". And I said, here's the thing, though. That's the blueprint for every great player because they grow up playing guard and they develop all these agility and guard skills. Then when they get super big, um, their body catches back up, those neural pathways are there. And so they can move with agility despite being huge. That's the difference between Olajuwon and Mark Eaton, right? Uh, one grows up playing <laughs> soccer and becomes the That's master- the only
1: difference. That's the only <laughs> That's the difference, the only- <laughs> guys, between Mark Eaton and Akeem Olajuwon. Noted, Jeff.
0: Okay. F- fair point. Um, so anyway, I'd I'd pause that and then I clicked on and you know they say Jordan grew a ton and then we get to the pin part. She's like, You're really onto something there. <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, baby, I'm kind of a genius when it comes to basketball. Um but Pippin is Pippin is more than Jordan, the harbinger of what the NBA becomes. He's he's Mr. Positionless. And I think people can rightly say Magic Johnson was ahead of him on that. Mm -hmm. But Pippen was such a better shooter than Magic from distance. Mm -hmm. And Pippen was a better defender. Magic could do it. But Pippen Mm -hmm. did do it on the ball, in the post, wherever he was at. And so when you look at Scottie Pippen, he clearly is not I mean, I'm not making any kind of case that he is a better player than Michael Jordan. But he is sort of a glimpse into the future. You know, Michael Jordan will probably never show up again. What Pippin brought to the table becomes a blueprint for scouts for the rest of time. Mm -hmm. And I just think he I think he is tragically underappreciated as a player that was ahead of his time. But also, I think credibly at different times in the run, the Bulls, maybe the I mean, they say in the doc, he might have been the second best player in the league. I don't think that's always true. I think there's a couple of times where it's probably true or at least credibly true.
1: Mm-hmm. Scotty Pippen was a Swiss Army knife as a player. Mm-hmm. He would do whatever needed to be done on that particular night or in that particular season or against that particular team or player. Mm-hmm. And he truly could do it all. And uh, I am I am picking up what you're putting down, you know, Jeff, in your analysis of, of Pippen, of of one Scott Pippen, as yeah, David crazy. Stern yeah, um, noted. Okay, so so I, I want to test hey, you By guys. the way,
0: before we move, no human being has ever looked more like a horse than Scott Pippen. He grew out of it. But, dude, that, that guy wasn't getting any dates. At Central Arkansas, I don't care how good he was. <laughs> wow! But wow. that that all changed because Scotty has like 11 teen children.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So draft night, okay? Oh, oh, 19- oh Terry,
0: Terry. Yep. Sorry, the I think the doc does touch this, but the one thing just as a fan of Scotty that I want to highlight is the doc doesn't even really get to Pippin came from dirt like crushing poverty. You know, obviously you get the sense they were not a well-to-do family, but I think it matters when you hear him talk about, I felt like I had to sign a long-term deal later on. Yeah. They came from like dirt floor level poverty. Yeah. And... I mean, it doesn't change the story. Everybody knows it's a rags to riches story. But I just want to highlight real quick. It's worse than rags. It's like uh, particles of rags uh, on a dirt floor. Uh, so yeah. it's uh, Yeah.
1: You know, the doc alluded to some things and others have, have shared some things. There are some astounding numbers when you start considering his compensation compared with the league and that type sure. thing that, yeah, I want to get to because it, you know, it, it's it's crescendoing as the um, episode two wraps up. For sure. All right, guys. So 1987 NBA draft. Can you guys name the players without looking it up who were drafted before Scottie Pippen? Pippen was taken at number five.
0: I know Reggie Williams is one of them because, you know, it's the David Robinson draft. It's kind of like the Akeem Olajuwon deal. Everybody in the world would have taken David Robinson number one.
1: Right. Even though even though it was a Larry Bird type pick because they drafted his rights.
0: That's right, because still
1: in the Naval Academy. Right. Robinson doesn't come to the next year to actual play. So, yes, David Robinson's taken at one. Reggie Williams is taken at number four. He goes. Reggie Williams uh, goes to the Clippers. We know Robinson went to the Spurs. You guys got who number two and number three were?
0: No, I just know. I thought Reggie Williams was one of those where you're like, I can see where they were coming from. Yeah. You know, uh, it's not, I mean, because I think this is also the Horace Grant, the Reggie Miller draft. Uh, there's there are guys who are drafted later who are much better than Reggie Williams, but at the time, it's kind of the same. Uh, it's, it's the deal where you're like, I can see what you were doing. This isn't another uh, buoy situation,
1: but I think yeah, the guys Re- before him probably are buoys. Re- Reggie Williams played at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. He was a swingman guard, you know, great program. They'd been to Final Fours, you know. Um. So yeah, he was at four. Any idea? Number two, number three, Jared. No idea, buddy. All right. Number two, taken out of UNLV. Armon or Armon Gilliam.
0: Was this the running Rebels' earliest days? Like you know the what what eventually materialized with Larry Johnson? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tarcanian was there. Gilliam had a, was drafted by Phoenix. had, had a, heard from again. Um. <laughs> he had a, he had a decent career. You can go look some stats as far as stats go. Um. Uh. There early on with Phoenix and whatnot. Okay. He's number two. Wait. Wait. Number- Let me ask
0: real quick, though. I think I'm confused. This is the draft that Kevin Johnson was drafted, right? Correct. But the Suns didn't take him with their first
1: pick? Uh, don't believe so. Huh. Uh, I'll, I'll double check it as, as we're talking here. Okay. But yeah, I'm gonna them um went number two. Okay, number three, or I'll give you a hint. Number three is someone that I believe I'm right in this, ends up winning a title with the Chicago Bulls.
2: It's not Grant, is it?
1: No, Grant was number, um, I believe Grant was ten. Is it some big white stiff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am um, trying to think who uh, was that old. I understand where you're coming from, but no. Um, no. Um, uh, Jeff, um, Cleveland Cavaliers selected Kevin Johnson at seven.
0: Oh, huh, really? I thought he was uh, a lifetime son. That's no.
1: fascinating.
2: Okay. No. I love Kevin Johnson back in the day, man. Yeah. He was incredible.
1: Yeah. All right. So, number three pick by the New Jersey Nets. Dennis Hobson.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was. He was, uh, I think he was on the first top team.
1: Yes, yes. He, he, I'm looking oh, right now. He, he won a title with the Bulls in 90 and 91, but he was, uh, I think Big Ten player of the year, uh, coming out of Ohio State. Ooh. Um, he, um, actually was the second, um, Leading score in the entire NCAA um, that year. Wow. And, um, yes, so he, he gets drafted um, by uh, the Nets. So, I mean, Scotty Piven could have went to Phoenix, to New Jersey, or to the Clippers before – Seattle takes him at five. Yeah, sure. H- had you guys ever seen that footage of Pippen on draft night with the Sonics hat on, being interviewed and not aware that he's been traded?
0: No, and I felt so bad for that small town kid. I yeah. had seen a picture of him wearing a Sonics cap, though, uh-huh. um, but I, I I hadn't seen the footage.
1: So he gets so a trade is worked out by Jerry Krause. Yeah good for cool.
0: him. I mean, the, you know, credit where credit's due. He made yep. he took a risk and made a good move. I just think, you know, that has to be balanced with
1: him throwing it all away later. Sure, sure. But isn't that fascinating? Kenny the Jet Smith from North Carolina's is taking number six. The only the Tar, Tar Heel I do not like. By the Sacramento Kings. Kevin Johnson goes to the, drafted by the Cavs at seven. Olden Polyneese was the Bulls pick at eight. Who They then trade to um, Seattle for Pippen. Hmm. Uh, Derek McKee at nine. Horace Grant drafted by the Bulls at ten, which the, Document is not touched on yet. Reggie Miller at 11. Oh my gosh. Muggsy Bogues at 12. Um, Oh my goodness. um, Mark Jackson, the point guard who actually wins rookie of the year this year um, goes to the Knicks at 18. Reggie Lewis who ends up dying um, very early in his career and and life uh, as a member of the Boston Celtics is drafted number 22. And the very last, um, the very last pick, cause they, they went multiple rounds, um, back in this day. Mm-hmm. um, the In the sixth round of the NBA draft, uh, at pick number 127, one Sharunas Martialonis, mm. who went to Golden State and was one of those year, early European players that stuck, stuck around in the league some. So we've already alluded to Jordan's international influence. Obviously, this guy, I believe he had played, I think, on the national team that beat um, the 1988 U.S. Olympic team. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, uh, Billy Donovan from, um, <laughs> Providence college was drafted, um, in this draft, um, uh, um, he, he was drafted by the Utah Jazz. Um, Chris Dudley, uh, someone else who's been dunked on a lot, especially Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> uh, like to dunk on Chris Dudley. So... Great free-throw um, shooter. Great free-throw yeah, shooter. So just, you know, so much of, of this draft, and this is a move bringing in Pippen and Grant to begin to put a young nucleus around this budgeting, or th- th- this this just superstar that's absolutely right there in their midst. Um, so they... they Note Pippen, and they they note his draft. They note where he's come from, and um, they know what they hope he will uh, be. And um, they note his his growth spurt. As we said, they note Jordan's growth spurt from five ten uh, when he was cut to at least six foot three, six foot four, while still in high school. And then we jump back a year to Michael Jordan's second year. Um, with the Bulls when he sustains this foot injury. Um, any any closing remarks on everything Pippen leading up to him being drafted?
0: No, just Jared's right. Hunger. And I think with Pippen, it's desperation. You know, they talked to his yeah. one good friend who's like, he always thought he'd be in the NBA. There's a ton of kids who thought they were going to be in the NBA who didn't make it. Mm-hmm. But uh, a, a stable home, also desperation. Pretty good motivators to stay hungry and keep working. the The thing this episode eventually gets to, and maybe... Um, maybe this is for a later time. But when Pippen comes in and think and says he's going to be better than Jordan, that was eye opening to me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, those are my final thoughts. Maybe that sets us up for something later. Jared, I don't have anything, to add, buddy.
1: Okay. All right. So, so then we, we, we go back just a little bit, because I think one of the things that we're that, that episode two really points out is the management style and or issues that Krauss, Reinsdorf and the organization have or are going to have. Because Jordan injures his foot. It's the first significant injury that he's ever sustained as a player. Um, Jordan was an iron man when it came to playing games, when he was when he was called upon doing it. And uh, we see that throughout his career. So he gets hurt early in the year. And then basically the Bulls get to a point where even though Jordan is um, seemingly going to be okay, they know they're not going to win a title. And so they're literally... Leaning toward tanking um, in in that day and time, so they can get a lottery pick. Which in that day, the the were the seven worst teams were entered into the lottery, and. They talked to Jordan about his injury. What you guys think of that interaction with him and Ronsdorf? And them? Th- they're basically, they're pitched to him that, you know, well, let's just, you know, let's mail it in essentially. And let's not see you get hurt anymore or, or any further. And we'll just get a good draft pick and, you know, be geared up for next year.
2: I, th- I thought that's, I mean, that's the position I would have had if I was owning the team. You know, I mean, I know that that sounds awful, but I thought the point—I
0: um, can't remember who it was that said it—but he was the franchise. I mean, I think I, I mean, you I thought, might be thinking about Reinsdorf who told him like, "It's one of the funniest lines in the early." And there's a there's a bad word in there somewhere, but Reinsdorf tells him, "If I had if you had a headache and I gave you ten pills and I said one of them will kill you, will you take the pill? Yeah, Will you take the pills?" And Jordan says, "Well, how bad's the headache?"
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that's right. Yeah, like yeah, if I give you ten pills, one, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I mean, I, I was agreeing with the owners on that side. I mean, Jordan, the Lord was looking out for him, and there's really no other way around it. He did things, young zeal, zeal without knowledge type mm. things that he would probably tell other players not to do if he was the GM of their team. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. he could have ruined his
0: career. Yeah, he could have, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Terry, I don't want to step on this because I feel like I'm jumping in. I'm, I'm over, I'm like a golden retriever jumping to play, but... Um... <laughs> I found it refreshing. <laughs> we so you, you know as an owner that's right you want I mean think about the teams we've talked about already on here. How did the how did the Spurs end up with Duncan and Robinson? Robinson gets hurt. <laughs> they get much better draft results. They end up with Duncan. A dynasty is born. Oh yeah. Um the, the 76ers under Hinkie, it was, you know, they're famous for the process. Get as many high draft picks as you can get because it's your chance to get a superstar. They're on team friendly contracts. I get all of it. I also get the modern move to try to rest players, particularly ones who are injury prone. I get it. But man, it was so refreshing to see a guy be like, I'm paid to play basketball. I want to play basketball. Why are you stopping me from playing basketball? And like, it's one of those get off my lawn. Comments from an old guy. But I legitimately hope this documentary helps people who only grew up in the day of load management and tanking to go, yeah, maybe that is kind of weird. There's a reason that like Barkley and his generation throw off on that. Yeah, it's it's
2: interesting. Now that you bring it up, man, it's interesting. The um, you know, you've got you've got guys, at least in college football, that are sitting out bowl games or at least Mm -hmm. talking about it with the upcoming NFL draft because they don't want to get injured. You know, yep. in games that don't matter because of money. Yeah. And, uh, well, and, you know, and, the, you the know love just of own, the, game, the love of the game,
0: you know, is something that needs to be celebrated. I'll agree with that. For sure. I, I just want to own my hypocrisy because uh, I'm not beating up on people. I'm just saying, I think it was refreshing. When Zion Williamson had his shoe blow out and he did like the splits in one of those yeah. games, <laughs> I was thinking, like, yeah, man. Call it a night. You know, get ready for the draft. Like I get it, because this is generational money. This is change your family tree money. These guys are coming into, but it's just super. Not- oh, well, uh, let me let me say it this way. I'm on the other side of that. My son is getting old enough now where he wants to go to an NBA game. I went to NBA games with Terry Felton, and they were like holidays. Uh, Adam Daniels and his his parents would take us to see the Bulls uh, play in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was a holiday. If I take my son, and Lord willing, I'll be able to when the world spins again, it's going to be a major financial uh, investment for us to go see an NBA game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If, if we go to see Kawhi and Kawhi sets out for load management, there is something that's just off-putting to the highest degree about that. And I think at one point, Ahmad Rashad, um, he steals a quote I have heard Jordan say uh, in the past, where he said, "There's in every crowd, there was somebody who, this is the only time they've ever seen me play. And I wanted to play well. Like, the loan yeah. management thing doesn't square up with that. But I've just appreciated the professionalism and the like, this is how I make my money. I'll give you what you paid for. That's coming out of this idea that Jordan was chomping at the bit to play. I know it's because he's a psychopath about basketball and competition. <laughs>
1: that's exactly right. The, the, that's, that's a large part of it. But also you hear his parents talking when he says that. Mm-hmm. He well, says, my same. dad worked for General Electric. My mom worked at the bank. They worked. And they even said, we didn't see sports as some great pathway for our children's lives. We had sports because we wanted our kids to learn the lessons of what a team was. And we wanted a place We knew they'd be safe when we were at work. Yeah. And and, and again, that's just so different to to most parents approach of sports now for their kids. Sure. Um, And yes, Jordan's Uber competitive drive that's off the charts. What well, was I uh, probably the the major factor there, but then the the reality of you go you get paid, you go to work. And that's what Jordan wants to do. So they, they and win. And then,
0: you wanna win. Like wanna winning win, is right. the end goal. Yeah. And yeah. you can see how when Kraus I don't know about Reinsdorf, but when Kraus presents this alternative being in some ways entirely reasonable, as Jared talked about. You can just see how Jordan will never trust him again because they are so fundamentally different people when it comes to what basketball is about. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and so the the they go into the 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 season, the nearing the end of the season, they allow Jordan to come back. He's allowed to play seven minutes per half. And he just goes berserk the seven minutes he's in the game. Mm -hmm. It all leads up to they're playing the Pacers and it's either the last game of the season or right at the tail end of the season. If Chicago loses, they're out of the playoffs. If they win, they get to go in. And they said it wasn't seven minutes like on you know it was seven minutes of like actual like interaction Acting time, they said they even had a stopwatch, so they apparently weren't even looking at you know starting the, the the twelve minute quarter and at the five minute mark pulling Jordan out. So literally, it's a one point game, and it's time for Jordan to come out, and they pull him out with under a minute to go in this game. That if they win, they go to the they get in the playoffs. If they lose, they don't. Holy mackerel. Can you imagine the steam that was coming off of Jordan? They told the coach they would fire him if he went over Jordan's allotted um, minutes allowance. I couldn't even fathom this scenario unfolding, but it did.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. I bet you could have powered a small city with the rage <laughs> coming off of him. Yeah.
2: And, and, the and fans were nuts too, man. I mean, good grief.
1: Well, you know, and, and what episode two really like showed me was it laid the groundwork for how all the all the mistrust and distrust that the players had for the management of the Chicago Bulls moving forward. You know, this is pre-Scottie Pippen, and yet we see Pippen's hot, you know, highlighted being drafted, and then where he is. You know, by the end of episode two, which we'll get to in a moment. But we see how everything, all all the all the distrusts for Jordan would have come in the second year coming out of this foot injury. So Jordan sits on the bench, John packs and scores the game-winning basket, and the Bulls are in the playoffs, and they're they're playing against the what many say is one of the greatest teams of all time, the 86 Celtics. So I don't know if a, if a doctor got involved or what but th- did you guys find it odd that in the playoffs Jordan's restrictions were lifted? I yeah. I mean, it went from, from went from 14 minutes a game to uh, whatever. Can I give you the cynical
2: or are they out of the lottery? Are they out of the lottery? Yes. if they don't yes. win. Yeah, you're Out of yeah. the lottery.
1: They're, they're, if they get the playoff berth, they're out of the lottery. Okay, so that's what so the, it was. yeah. So they're out of the lottery now. They're the eight seed, and they won thirty. They went thirty and fifty-two. Yeah, <laughs> and that's made the playoffs. Crazy. So
0: yeah. here's the, my cynical theory again. You're gonna
1: say you're, you're gonna say that that they wanted him to get hurt, aren't you?
0: No, I'm not. Okay, right. uh, and I'm coming to this as a lifelong Bulls fan. I've never been a fan of an NBA team that wasn't owned by Jerry Reinsdorf. At least is my primary allegiance. OK, NBA teams count playoff revenue as bonus money to the budget. They make gate money on top of what their operating budget for the year was when they get playoff revenue. Yeah. So the Bulls knew if we can get a couple home games out of this, we get a significant uptick in finance uh, in, in income. So the mercenary scales tip, I think, this is my suspicion, that they said, you know, we wanted to try to get a a better draft pick and protect our young superstar, but now it's more important for us to get more gate money. And here's the thing. Teams should operate in their best self-interest, but that is so cold-heartedly mercenary, right? It's We got to protect him until there's an opportunity to get playoff bonus money.
1: Yeah, but with with the with that said, with the Bulls playing the Celtics, like, you know, it was only a five-game series, you know, a five-game opening round in that day. So the best, you know, the Bulls have gotten two games at the most, and the way it worked out, they only got one home game.
0: I think that matters to Reinsdorf. Okay. Uh, Reinsdorf has always been a guy who prioritized the Sox, the White Sox. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, I mean, in some ways, it's the only thing that makes sense to me that they would just lift the restrictions. They have to have some kind of incentive, but then on top of that, it's a guaranteed sellout, and your and your team is going to be on national or whatever television is. I can't remember if they're still tape delaying games at that point or not, but your team's going to be on TV, and it's the Celtics. Everybody in Chicago is going to want that ticket. So mm-hmm. it, whatever you can get, however many games you can get to get a a, a shot at the gate, I think they're going to do everything they can, including doing a 180 degree reversal on what they were saying about uh, you know wanting to stop George from hurting himself. I,
1: I I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think there, there's probably a lot of truth to that. Um, g- get this. During the regular season, Boston won five of the six matchups that year against the Bulls. The Bulls beat them one time during the regular season without Jordan, mind you. I'm, I'm pulling up figures here. Orlando Woolridge was the leading scorer for the Bulls in that game when they beat the Celtics. What NBA Hall of Famer was the second leading scorer for the Bulls that night? We'll take a stab at that. 86. Was Oakley there? Yeah, no, Oakley was there, but he wasn't. Yeah, he didn't make Hall of Fame.
0: What was the second leading 86. scorer in '86? Um, did you give us any more details about who that person is?
1: Uh, NBA Hall of Famer, who was the second leading scorer in this game um, for the Bulls when they beat the Celtics um, um, the one time they beat them in the regular season. So, uh, this he, is this is a he can't go for
0: it. Can he finger roll? He can finger roll. Okay, so there. Yeah, I just didn't know if that was late enough for his tenure with the Bulls. Yep. It would be George Iceman Gervin.
1: Yes, finger roll. <laughs> yep. So, so they. The Bulls beat the Celtics one out of nine times that season. It was without Michael Jordan. It was led by Orlando Woolridge and George Gervin. So the Bulls get to the playoffs. The restrictions are lifted. And Jordan has an okay game in game one. He scores 49. The, the Bulls lose um, by 19 points. And then... Jeff, Jared, did you guys know that Michael Jordan and Danny Ainge went and played some golf together between games one and two?
2: I mean, that's, that's hilarious. It's perfect. It's so perfect. It, everybody hates, perfect. hated Danny Ainge back in that time, I reckon. Yes.
1: yes, they did. He was like the annoying little brother that just somehow, <laughs> like, with his hair cut and everything and got to play on these incredible teams. And then he would later in his career play in Portland and play in Phoenix and be that same annoying guy. Oh yeah, um,
2: He's always about to get pumped. In the
0: game,
1: <laughs> so he and Jordan play golf together, and Ainge apparently has a good day on on the golf course, and Jordan does not. I, I'm sure y'all caught it. What did Jordan say as they were apparently leaving the golf course or whatever that day? Did you catch that, guys?
0: He told somebody to tell him he'd see him later, right, or something like T- that.
1: Tell tell DJ Dennis Johnson, oh, who yeah. was the primary guy to guard Jordan. Tell DJ I got something for him tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and that something was the 63 point game against the Boston Celtics, maybe their best ever team, led by Bird. NBA playoff record. The Bulls lose in double overtime, 135-131. Jordan puts 63 on them. Not not shooting three pointers either, left and right.
0: He yeah, that game. Correct me if I'm wrong, Felton. He didn't make a three the entire time, right?
1: I don't believe he did.
0: Now, no, I think it was all jumpers and free throws. Golly. That's some like Pistol Pete stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real.
1: I mean, and all that said, the Bulls, they lose. You know, they they, they lose. They go. Um, you have the third game and the um, the Celtics knock them out because they were the better team. Um, and then we jump back in. Back, we go back to the future from 86 back to 97. And you, you have this. This distrust that Jordan has and now we're seeing it with Pippen that Scotty Pippen did not have foot surgery in the offseason he chose to have it as the season started as training camp started so he's out as the re- as the regular season begins in 1997 um, Jordan calls him selfish for that act but then we realize at that point in time, Scottie Pippen is the sixth highest paid player on the Bulls team. The 122nd highest paid player in the entire NBA. That, that is because Scottie Pippen, according to Reinsdorf, and then others would back this up, Scottie Pippen took a seven-year contract deal in 1991, a seven-year, $18 million deal. And this was the final year of that contract, and they they had never you know renegotiated it. Um, Luke Longley, Dennis Rodman, Tony Kukoc, Ron Harper, and Michael Jordan were the Bulls who were paid more than Scottie Pippen was with that particular contract that particular year. That is insane. Uh, do, yeah. you, do you guys know? Do you guys know who Scottie Pippen's agent was? Uh, Arn Tellem. <laughs> no. Mm. Who uh who is the current super agent in the SEC for their coaches?
0: <laughs> is this an oddly personal answer for us? Somewhat. For, because of a mutual friend?
1: Yeah. Old oh, Jimmy Sexton? Apparently Jimmy Sexton was one of the agents, which would make sense if he was Pippen's agent coming out of Central Arkansas, right? Yeah, yeah. And so apparently Sexton and and if there were other guys representing Pippen as well, they yeah. weren't too keen on the contract either, but Pippin Pippen wanted that contract in 91. Now, does that stem from, obviously, his upbringing? Um, his mom said that that Scotty took care of them, that, that he built them a house, that I assume by that, in particular, was um, meant to help with the handicap accessible needs that the family had. Um, she noted how he always took care of her and that kind of stuff. But that was seven years prior, and now we have this situation coming to a head there. Um, and did y'all it, notice how, like, blue-collar where that house looked. Oh yeah. I mean he did oh, yeah. it, wasn't Yeah. It wasn't flashy. What, what's interesting is that Pippen's contract and Jordan's mirrored each other for 5 of the 7 years. Um the the um gazettes uh spot track um put the salaries for Jordan and Pippen during their six title years. Get this. 1990 Jordan's contract 2.5 million, Pippen 765,000. In 91 after Pippen gets the new contract, Jordan 3.2 million, Pippen 2.7 million. 1992 Jordan's making 4 million, Pippen's making 3.4 million. 95 MJ making 3.8 million, Scotty 2.9. Listen to this. 96 Jordan 30.1 million, Scotty 2.2 2 million. 97 MJ making 33.1 million, Scotty making 2.7 million.
0: So can I give you all some historical context on that? Go for it. Y- y'all may know it. Uh, listeners may too. So do you remember a couple of years ago, the NBA signed a new TV deal, uh, I think with ESPN, and that huge influx of TV money drove the salary cap sky high for one year? There was a huge jump from one year to the next. So that spike allowed the Golden State Warriors to sign Kevin Durant. You remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, something like that happened uh, a year or two into Pippin's contract. When he first signed that thing, it was consistent with really good players in the league. But he signed for so long that that huge spike came. And it wasn't just a one year spike. Like it, you know, the, 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 glo- the, the television rights to the NBA were so much more valuable uh, because of Jordan um, that it, it put the league in a different financial stratosphere as a whole. And Pippen was left on the outside. Does that make sense? So the day that he signed it, he was probably within the top six or eight players being paid. But that seventh year, fifth year, it's looking egregious. So normally I am not a fan of labor unions, holdouts, things like that. Okay, I'm a free market guy. But knowing that Pippen signed the contract, just on a human level, I really do think it's a matter of him saying I need to just protect myself against injury long term. Um but also I normally would say dude you sign the contract, play for it, you know what I mean? And that's what Jordan says. He says guys being selfish. But the NBA is an artificial marketplace. Because of the way that, uh, players' rights are held by teams, a player can't come to a true free market and offer their services for their compensation, right? So imagine if Pippin was a pipe fitter in, in central Arkansas. And he went to uh, Little Rock and he says, look, I'm a great pipe fitter. He could make himself available to any number of companies that would use his services and largely move from company to company based on compensation packages fairly rapidly. Right. Until he finds some kind of market balance where the market has said this is pretty much the top limit of what you are worth as a pipe fitter. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He can't do that in the NBA. Um, He's artificially constrained from doing that. And so, in a way that seems weird to me as a free market guy, but I think is actually consistent with my free market principles, I tend to side. With athletes, when they say the amount of money that I'm bringing to your organization is out of step with what I'm being compensated for, if Pippen was able to go on a free market and say any any team in the in the universe who wants to sign me, including Europe, which you've seen in you know since those days, like guys have went to Europe because they got more money there. Um, those are usually mid tier NBA players, but still they do it. If Pippen had the freedom to say, okay, I'm going to go negotiate. Um, as a as a truly free agent um i would be more okay with saying like you should play for this but in 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 a way that i'm even hesitant to say when jordan's like pippin's being selfish i just thought man jordan you threw away more money on the golf course tuesday than pippin made you know what i mean and i don't think you're in a place to criticize him knowing that pippin was artificially constrained in the marketplace that's my maybe yellow-bellied defense of Scotty Pippen
1: perhaps that there isn't there a world too where we do have to consider the um and and I assume they'll get into this at other parts of the documentary the endorsements and how much money Jordan was making off the court you know even this day Jordan has made more money um with his Jordan brand and in other endorsement deals than he's ever, ever made playing well, was Pippen unable, because I, I don't recall, was he just unable to have those type of deals or or um, was that just not in his nature because he, he was a lot more shy and reserved that, you know, because um, I understand the argument, you know, you you sign the contract, pay for, you know, uh, play for it and then you will get your day in time or, hey, you shouldn't have signed such a long one. But, you know, was was things so financially strapping um, for Pippen that in part, you know, he, he, he didn't have a lot of the endorsement deals?
0: Well, I mean, my recollection from the time, and Jared, I don't mean to step on you if you want to speak to this, but my recollection for the time was that it was Michael Jordan and everybody else. Yeah, right. mine too. You know, we since saw little Penny, and uh, I'm trying to think. You know, I, I guess Shaq had a big endorsement deal. LeBron clearly, uh, I think LeBron is on pace to earn a sizable amount more outside of the NBA than he made as a player through contracts. But I remember Jordan and and Air Jordan being basically the only person like. You know, the only person in that category when he was making that endorsement deal, he he seemed to be. I mean, was there a second, you know, well known, well compensated pro, uh, professional endorser? I don't know that we ever saw that really uh, on Jordan's level till till Tiger Woods actually.
1: Yeah, certainly not to his level. But NBA players had you know endorsement deals. You know some locals, some of them you know wore other shoe brands. You know, yeah. Or, well, that's an
0: agent deal there. You know, if you're yeah. if you're not at a yeah. local used car lot or whatever. Now that's the thing with Scotty. So Scotty is not in, like I think his agents mess him over. Scotty also got into several like. Uh, investments he made, uh, people took advantage of him. Scotty also pays a lot of child support. Scotty's also got a divorce that happened like two years ago that he's paying for. So Scotty's money is not, he's not, he's not free from blame on this. But if, if he's not getting that stuff, I have no idea. But if he's not endorsing some Chicago area pizza joint, that's on his agent.
1: Yep, that, that, that's fair. So that's that's where episode two winds down is Pippin in the contract dispute, the the mistrust he has for the organization. Joran's mistrust goes back even longer for the organization and what should be a celebratory time of capturing their fifth title has become a huge amount of pressure to get number six because this is going to be their final year together. Pippen's not playing. He's recovering from foot surgery. And the Bulls, out of the gate, are struggling um, in the early part of the 97-98 season. And right around Thanksgiving time, uh, November twenty-fourth, 1997, Pippen demands a trade. He says, I'm not going to play for the Bulls. And he demands a trade. And that's where episode two winds up.
0: It's the Kraus apocalypse, man. Uh, mm-hmm. So let me tell you how a smart and reasonable – and I, not, I say smart. I'm not some genius GM. Nobody's ever called and asked me to be a GM for an NBA franchise. If you're a smart GM knowing you have a team that's a championship contender, obviously you try to mend fences with Phil Jackson. Obviously you don't give him an ultimatum, particularly knowing that Jordan has attached himself to Phil. But the other thing is you go to Pippen and say, Pippen, you're under this contract. You know, Jerry has a no renegotiation policy. Reinsdorf was famous for that with the Sox and the Bulls. We don't renegotiate contracts, but it's coming up and we're going to take care of you. You have my word. We're going to take care of you. But little man with little man syndrome. Couldn't handle it, couldn't do it, couldn't couldn't realize that uh that Scottie Pippen was that important and he and Krauss wasn't. The the contrast to this, also I think this is this has really eaten the bulls up for years after this, because again, Reinsdorf stayed the owner. Do y'all remember when Kobe Bryant was very obviously in the twilight of his career, the Lakers signed him to a ridiculously large contract? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that factored in to LeBron James signing with the Lakers, knowing that they take care of premier players at the end of their career? Probably, I think so. Yeah. Do you think if you're a free agent wondering how the Bulls are going to treat you, if you you know, or if you're if you're playing very well for four years of a five year contract, but that fifth year uh, you would be on the downside of your career? Does that not factor in? Oh yeah. 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 Miami has made a brand of this under Pat Riley. They operate like a like a crime family. Eudonis Haslam, um, you just name it. Like if somebody goes and plays multiple years for Miami, they always have a job with the franchise. Forever. I think that right. matters to NBA guys. Uh the Mavs have done this with dirt. You know, Cuban uh got Dirt to sign some below market value contracts, and Cuban, without breaking tampering laws, basically said Dirk Nowitzki will be an employee of the Dallas Mavericks until he dies. (laughs) And I really think – I'm just telling you, man, Kraus deserves every bit of scorn he gets because not only did he throw away uh not he was trying to throw away a dynasty. They managed to win another championship, but he was trying to throw away a dynasty. He was, you know, he was actively alienating the best player ever. He thought he was going to rebuild and show them all. He put the Bulls in the wilderness for from a talent standpoint for two decades and I think right now free agents because the Bulls have a horrible track record of signing free agents. I think right now free agents still remember how they did Mike and Scotty. Mm.
1: Yeah. You tell I get animated about this. You, you are passionate indeed about this, Jeff. <laughs> um, that's for sure. I watched and, a lot of Tim
0: Floyd. I'll just say that. I watched a lot of Tim Floyd.
1: <laughs> Tim Floyd referenced, you know, how he had already been handpicked. Yeah. I'm like, how, how crazy is this? How insulting. Yeah.
0: You know, think about it, guys, the, the, the most influential layperson in your church. Things go toxic. You know that he wants you gone. And he starts asking, he starts bringing another preacher to sit in your sermon so he can get to know the church. Can you imagine? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's, that's, it's, uh, it's unusual. That's, that is for sure. Um, Kraus
0: is there, there's two, there's two pop culture figures that Kraus makes me think of, you know, the big boss dude in space jam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes go do a Google image search for that thing and then put it up against Krause and tell me they don't look alike. And the other thing that Kraus makes me think of is Jabba the Hutt. Mm-hmm. When I saw Jabba the Hutt's face for the first time, I was like, I've seen that face before. And I realized it was Jerry Krause. I'm not saying it's physical. I'm saying it's probably an emotional resemblance in my heart, but they look like you. <laughs> I've,
1: so I've heard the Space Jam one before. I've not I've not considered um, the connection with uh, Star Wars. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I will tell you this to try to balance a little bit of my sub-Christian scathing here. The best thing that Jerry Krause did outside of finding Scottie Pippen was refused to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame until Tex Winter was. And out of everything I hate about Jerry Krause, I'm really thankful that he tried with what little influence he had to shine a light on what a travesty it is that Tex Winter wasn't in the Hall of Fame. And if you don't know, listener, Tex Winter is the guy who created the the triangle offense the that's the offense that that Phil Jackson incorporated with both the Bulls and the Lakers that allowed uh, Jordan to thrive i mean i say allowed uh Jordan loved you know eventually came to love the system and saw it as a huge advantage Pippen uh Kobe Bryant Shaq they were all you know under Phil Jackson they were running Texas offense the the triangle offense and he may still not be in the hall of fame
1: wow. well well that's where the documentary leaves us. Um, last night, um, I think I messaged you, Jeff, um, or maybe both of y'all. I could have stayed up and watched you know, the next eight episodes if they would have had them you know playing yeah. um in secession, um it 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 took took me back took me back to being a kid took me back to that you know just you know love and just eat, even being enamored with jordan the player and uh, and then also though seeing that there are cracks in the armor with with him as a human and that this guy isn't perfect and um there there's a need there um that he and that all of us have um so um i i, um, I think the first two episodes were really done well and, um, you know, the thousands of hours of footage they shot, um, for them to be able to try and put this down into 10, 50 minute, you know, episodes, I'm sure was daunting. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really glad they did. And I'm, I'm looking forward, Lord willing to seeing the, uh, next eight episodes.
0: Yeah. And it's such a good bow to put on this, Terry. I've got more questions for y'all though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Go
0: ahead. Uh, Did y'all see that Jordan was concerned about this documentary being released and it, you know, causing people to see him as a jerk? Yes, I saw that. Did any of you not know that Jordan was an insanely vicious competitor?
2: No, I knew it and I knew he was a gambler and I knew he made fun. I mean, you know, I think I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to be I don't think I'm going to be surprised, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I agree with Jared. I didn't know how much um, was going on with him in front office stuff and how he would berate Krause and stuff. I wasn't uh, aware of that much. Um, but, yeah, him on the court and even him and the, the compulsive seemingly gambler that he may be or may have been the, the antics on golf course. And that kind of stuff. I mean, I knew that was at a level that probably is not healthy. Um, So I knew that. But so I'm not shocked by it, uh, at least thus far. Yeah, I Um, think
0: I grew up knowing it like y'all did. Now, we did. We've heard heard his we've heard his Hall of Fame speech. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Go ahead. I was just going to say that we knew it and we heard like stories it. we heard about the fight with Steve Kerr um, making fun of Ron Harper's stuttering. Mm -hmm. We heard that. Then we the whole nation saw his Hall of Fame speech. Uh, And the Gospel Coalition retweeted one of their like, do you still want to be like Mike pieces about it this week? Like it's old news. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the person I I mean, I don't know. Mike knows what he wants to do with his brand and his brand has always been very important to him for good reason. But I just wonder who the person is who cares enough to watch this documentary for this long, spread out over this amount of time. Who you know who that person is who doesn't also know Jordan was a vicious competitor.
1: Mm Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, The other thing I just wanted to ask is if I could let you buy every garment you saw in that documentary that you would like to have that was bull's gear, how much money do you think you would spend? (laughs)
1: Jared, you're the you're the expert on, you know, online and, and you know, eBay selling and buying and stuff. Um, what, what do you think all that would cost?
2: Oh, there's well over millions there, man. I mean, people are going berserk over Jordan stuff right now online. And some of that some of that, uh, like if you could get a tr- somebody's trophy or a ring, somebody else, like even a, somebody low on the totem pole who warmed the bench the whole time and get one of their rings and sell it. I mean, it would be over a million dollars. Dennis Hobson is taking notes right now.
0: I'm, serious, <laughs> <E-B-A-Y>.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you man it would be crazy what that stuff goes for and you could I mean if, if you could get a hold of one of those rings don't worry about saving for retirement just just keep it for 30 years and you sell it that cash you know. when you retire I mean see, I, I'm dead serious you go back you go and look go to Leland's go to some of these other big auction companies man and look at some of the million dollars things they've sold it's like uh, rings from the Yankees uh, World World Series championships from thirties and forties, and um, you know, it, it, I mean, that that's what's going to happen when, when when our generation is old. That stuff
0: is just going to keep skyrocketing. You know, it's going to really sell. Well, you you answered that in a much smarter way than I actually asked the question. All I was saying is everything I saw the Bulls wearing, I wanted. (laughs) It is the coolest sports gear that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Those white warm-up jackets that, that just have the Bulls logo and then like under the arms are black with a little white lining. Yeah. Sports gear has never been as cool, and never will be as cool again. There's a scene where they're traveling into, uh, into, I guess, Paris, and just the whole team is wearing these really simple Chicago Bulls sweatshirts. I was online, being like, "Where can I find the retro '97?" You know, what I mean, like, it's the coolest looking gear of all time, and I don't, I don't think anything will ever touch it or uh, exceed it. That's hilarious.
1: It, it, it does look pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean Jordan invented the sneaker market, right? I mean, yes. Their uh, their gear was just—they awesome. were the coolest thing. Oh, in the world. Jeff,
2: Jeff, Jeff, did you did either of you own any Jordans when you were a kid? Shoes?
0: Yes. Yeah, one pair. Do you have them still? No, did I wore them out? You know, that's oh. what you did. You you got yep. one pair of shoes. My dad begrudged the purchase, and he rightly should have. And you just wore them till they fell apart. So now I don't yeah. have any originals. I, I had one pair too,
2: and I bought them used, or my mom bought them used all my shoes were used until I was in high school. But, uh, but man, though, even those shoes, dude, they're selling for three or 4,000
0: online, mm-hmm. like from your, your like kid's shoes that you, mm-hmm. you used to wear. I yeah. uh. believe it. I got on one time, just Jack or will. Somebody needed sneakers for school. And I was like, I'm gonna buy them some air Jordans. That'd be fun. And like <laughs> the reissues, I'm not talking about like buying the vintage ones, but like, you know, they, they will re-release every so often the Jordan nines or something. I was like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. Now, I actually bought a more expensive shoe than the pair of Jordans I bought um, was the Air Pennies. And I wow. think I think they were $135. And I had to put birthday money plus give my dad a small coronary to get them. <laughs> uh, those, and I'd still love that. Those are, seriously, I love Jordans. Air Jordan shoes are super cool. I still think the Penny shoes are the coolest Nike shoes ever produced. Anyway, th- that's off subject. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's about it. Other than Terry had raised a good question uh, off air that might take us out since I stopped us from using his really brilliant conclusion there. Uh, Why Jordan? Why is Jordan so fascinating to us?
2: I think it's why Curry is fascinating to this generation, in part, you know, doing things that nobody before him did. I mean, you had Clyde the Glide, but even he looked mediocre when Jordan came gliding, you know, Air Jordan. I mean, like you said, Jeff, it wasn't that his dunks were spectacular. It's that he he actually looked like he could fly. I mean, when he would do a dunk, it's like, how did he? It's almost like there were stairs, invisible stairs under him, Mm -hmm. visible treadmill. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it was just amazing. He was and the shots and they showed a bunch of them in the documentaries last night, the shots where his back was to the goal. He just knew where the backboard was. He knew what angle to throw the ball up at and then the, the palming it with one hand and shooting it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those big hands, man. Those big meaty hands.
1: Uh, You know, Jared's right. They, they definitely marketed him. Um, uh, uh, an individual, amazing talent on a, a, a team in a team sport. They, they marketed him to kids. Um, my, my first video games as a child were not, um, I didn't have a Nintendo. Um, I didn't have an Atari. I had these handheld battery powered games and the very first game I ever got was Jordan versus bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, and,
0: I, I know the game you're talking about, dude.
1: And, you know, and it's, you know, you picked, you were Larry, you were Michael, and you could do like a horse competition or do like a one-on-one game. And I just, you know, just played that, you know, for hours. And Jordan came, you know at a time where they were beginning to market not just the team, but market the person. And then, you know, he, he created the, the Jordan brand with Nike. He endorsed McDonald's. I don't like Powerade to this day because I want to be like Mike and drink Gatorade. Mm-hmm. Hey,
0: so Terry, on that front, I'm totally a mark for this too. My favorite Gatorade, I don't think they sell anymore. It's that citrus cooler thing that they yeah. sold as Mike's favorite flavor.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. If you find Find that in your basement, Jeff, don't drink it, okay? It's probably <laughs> it's probably soured by now. Okay. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's but, that's good warning. Good warning.
1: You know, but they you know, but but it all came together with this once in a lifetime athlete and this competitive drive where he wanted to be the best, even though he was already the best. And he had that capacity, like the great ones do. To when it mattered the most, you know, like Jared, you said it earlier, he found a way to win and it it just it all came together in him. And um, being the ages we were, um, I, I can remember it was a mother. It was on Mother's Day. We got home from a family dinner and I go in and turn the TV on and it's game five. Bulls versus Cavaliers when Jordan hits the shot over Elo.
0: Oh,
2: my (laughs) word.
1: I remember watching that on a Sunday afternoon and being like, that was awesome. And then following him and watching the Pistons knock him down and him get up and then knock him down again and then find the breakthrough. And 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 again, this is happening in our, you know, you know, we're moving from childhood to adolescence with him. And then, like you said, for us, you know, our teen years were the Bulls winning titles and um, it, it, it crescendoed into high school when we were all basketball marks. The town we grew up in loves basketball. Mm-hmm. So it was it, it was it just all came together. But what's what's so amazing to me is that you can find athletes now and you can find guys like us in the ministry. You can find guys and gals in all different walks of life who had the same type of experience or the same type of emotion welled up within them when they watched the greatness of Michael Jordan on the basketball court. And then the appeal of him off the court was just, just amazing. And perhaps only with Tiger Woods and what he did with golf in our lifetime can even compare um, to what MJ did um, during this time he was with the Bulls.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with that. I think that Americans particularly, but just generally humans, uh, we like the thing that is obviously the best that's ever been. You know what I mean? Like we tell stories about that. Um, And and something that came out of my conversation with Christy, because, again, she knows my unhealthy obsession with Michael Jordan's greatness. But a lot of this stuff is fairly new to her because she just still probably doesn't care, but just didn't care enough to know about it. She just knew he was a thing but when 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 roy williams says you know we knew who he was and when we brought him to camp we thought he was a pretty good player by the time he left uh we thought he was the best player in the world or whatever you know i'm pretty close to the quote there that that's a that's a high school senior or junior she kind of turned and looked at me and i just shook my head yes and then the quote out of this whole first two episodes that really staggered me was Bobby Knight talking about Michael Jordan. Yep. And Bobby Knight saying, he's the best player I've ever coached. Did he say coached or seen? I think it was seen.
1: That was a, a good part. Yeah.
0: And she doesn't know who Bobby Knight is, but I know Bobby Knight is OG college basketball. He's seen it all.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and she turned to look at me again, and I shook my head, yes. And, and of course, at that point, it just clicked for me. Of course, Bobby Knight would love Michael Jordan. That's probably the closest thing Bobby Knight's ever come to himself in a player. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. But then when they go into the thing about him making the shot to win the national title as a freshman, Uh, She turned and looked at me again. And eventually at one point I said, see, honey, he's like living mythology. He's like Hercules with the the legendary feats or Achilles. Right. Except he this all happened on our televisions to the tune of John Tesh's NBA theme. Mm-hmm. like he really did this stuff. He's really this uh documentably great. And again, I like I have no hate in my life for LeBron James. LeBron James has done amazing things. Yes. Uh, but it just, you know, how many rings? Did he win a did he hit a game-winning shot as a college player to win a national championship? You, you know what I mean? Like I think that I have a compelling argument for why Jordan is a greater basketball player as an individual than LeBron, but I also think someone like my wife can look at the trials and conquests of Michael Jordan and say, oh, I get it. It's it's documentable. He has the pelts on the wall.
1: Jeff here, here here's the Bobby Knight quote full context if I were here, quote if I were going to pick three or four best athletes I've ever seen play basketball he'd be one of them I think he's the best athlete I've ever seen play basketball bar none if I were going to pick people with the best ability I've ever seen play the game he'd be one of them If I wanted to pick one of the best competitors, he'd be one of them he's the best athlete he's one of the best competitors he's the most one of the most skilled players and that to me makes him the best basketball player I've ever seen play end quote." That's Bobby Knight in 1984 before Jordan had ever laced him up in the NBA.
0: Wow. That's insane. Yeah. So again, I'm just just going to go back to the Hercules comparison. We watched him go through the trials, and we watched him collect the monsters' heads. It was the NCAA championship uh, winning shot. It was uh, the dunk contest stuff. It was struggling against the Pistons for years and finally vanquishing them. It was stringing together uh, three championships in a row when he finally broke through, taking Magic's uh, you know head with him, taking Clyde Drexler, who was at the time legitimately at the time people said Drexler. May be better, just unknown because he's out in Portland. um We watched him go play baseball and then come back to basketball and within a matter of months be the best player again. He,
1: when the league had gotten younger yeah with yeah. the grant hills the pennies and the shacks yeah. and, and yes he ended up playing the sonics and the jazz for those three titles but the league that he was becoming you know that that aging gunfighter in the western movie yeah. where could he rise to the challenge one more time and with the bulls he always did
0: yeah he always did that's the thing i think i think it's the closest thing we have to one of the legendary groups Great men of old is Michael Jordan. Uh, I said I was going to let this go. I I just want to ask, who do you think the contenders were from? Say, let's let's go to the first championship uh, was won in ninety one, right? Yeah. Okay. 91 through the end. So the last championship, uh, was it 97 or 98? I know that's the subject of the documentary, but I can't remember.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, it was the 97, 98 season. So they began in 97 in the fall and it, they would have won it in the, uh, spring of 1998. Yeah.
0: Okay. So really the span we're talking about in the championship run is from the 1990 beginnings, you know, the beginning of the 90, season to the end of the 97 98, right? Were they in the championship window? Mm-hmm. Jordan was probably the best player in the league far before that. But let's just take that window. In the documentary, somebody says Pippen was maybe the second best player in the league. Is that a credible claim in that window? And if so, who are the other contenders off the top of your head?
1: Who are the other other contenders for the best player in the league? Yeah. that's what you're asking? Okay. So I'll go first. Um, obviously, Olajuwon has those two incredible years um, with Jordan Alderley. Mm-hmm. So so I think you've gotta say in that time span, Elijah's gotta be considered one of the best. David and he, Robinson. Did it,
0: he did it in, in sort of Jordan fashion, too. And then, like, he took apart David Robinson, who was his rival for the throne. Correct. You know what I mean?
1: Correct. Correct. He, t- he took apart every—yeah. And then he took apart Shaq, a young Shaq in that finals. He took apart Patrick Ewing in the finals before, you know? So he, he faced his counterparts, if you will, who who were buying for who's the best center in the game at the time. And he, he defeated them. So think Elijah Wan— got to put charles barkley um if if memory serves right so malone Carmel malone won an mvp and then jordan and the bulls beat them in the finals sir charles barkley won an mvp with phoenix who who for my money i would say in that early title run barkley was the second best player in the nba um next to jordan mm-hmm. so so elijah and um barkley for me are probably like one a one b And then I I do think toward the end of, you know, toward the end of the second run, you do have to consider uh, a Carl Malone, a young Shaq, um, uh, a Grant Hill before injury, a Penny Hardaway before injury. Like there were guys coming, you know, and 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 I listened to Chris Broussard some last night after um, this um, documentary aired and and he was drooling at the possibility of having because, okay, so Jordan retires after the sixth title. The next year is the shortened season due to the lockout. You have David Robinson and a young Tim Duncan yeah. who win the title. And Broussard was foaming at the mouth practically saying, wouldn't it have been great to see if the aging veteran Jordan and the aging Pippen would face off against a powerhouse front court." For the championship, a shortened season may have been great for for Jordan and the Bulls, you know, and, and may have given them some fresher legs, but wouldn't that have been great to see? And then we obviously, we never got a chance to. Um, so I know it's a little derailed from your question, oh, Jeff, but I, I, I'm going to go Olajuwon Barkley, and then you kind of have this wave of younger guys coming, and you could throw, you know, Karl Malone's in there and, and stuff, but for my money, i go go Olajuwon and Barkley.
2: Okay. Uh, Jared, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't really have anything to add to that. I mean, I agree with Terry in those, and all those he mentioned.
0: Well, then we've come to consensus, except that I'm going to say, so I've got like these windows of opportunity. I think Akeem was eligible for second best in the league the year before and after they won their championships. Just looking at his career, um, I think Barkley was eligible for second best in the league. Um, and, and probably attained it a couple, you know, I'm, I'm more confident in Barkley even than I am keen The, uh, two years before he left Phoenix, I'm uh, sorry, uh, Philadelphia. If y'all remember that last year that he was with Philadelphia, he played like garbage trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So the two years leading up to that, and then all the way through, uh, at least the year that they went to the finals, if not the year after, I think Barkley has a claim to it. But the other person I'm going to put in the hopper is Scotty Pippen. And I think Scotty's is longer as eligible candidate than either Hakeem's or Barkley's. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot of that's bias, but I was watching Scotty every night and there's nothing he couldn't do. Uh, when Jordan wasn't in the game, they didn't miss a beat, really. Uh, you know, the, th- to illustrate this as a person, I'll never countenance the idea that LeBron's better than Jordan because. I think that LeBron it exceeds MJ athletically, but I think the degree to which MJ exceeds LeBron in terms of being cutthroat and willing to do whatever it takes to win is greater than the degree that LeBron exceeds MJ athletically. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I
0: I do think if I could have God's perspective on what he made a person to do in the capacity that was built into a person and the skill level achieved, I think Scottie Pippen may be better than LeBron, or at least his peak was better than peak LeBron. Hm. But I'm in the Scottie Pippen cult and I'm the you, son you, of the founder.
1: You, you, you are. And, and your, your mama has, has taught you well. And, and Jeff, I'll say your bias, while it's legit, it is an informed bias. Scottie Pippen and his response in the 94 playoffs when the play was called for Coach to take the shot is something that I think a lot of people will fair or not hold over his head forever when it comes to this as one of those marks against him? Because they say Jordan would, would, and again, we can argue and say, well, they wouldn't call a play for Jordan not to take the shot, but, but for Pippen to sit out that play, I think really is a mark against him when we, when we talk about this, because again, it's used really probably unfairly against Pippen. But when you look at what he did that year, He was the all star game MVP. I believe he was third in the MVP voting. The Bulls, I think, were only two or three games difference of their record from the year prior.
0: And they'd replaced Michael Jordan, I think, with Randy Myers. And that's not a criticism of Randy Myers.
1: Pete Myers. Pete Pete Myers, Myers. that's right. Pete (laughs) Myers.
0: And that's not a criticism of Pete Myers, but they took the second they, they they kept the second best player, lost the greatest player of all time, and replaced him with like a pretty good defensive role player.
1: Right, right. And they were a fluky foul call away from beating the Knicks and moving on in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, But but I think that's one of those those scenarios where there's a lot held against Pippen in in putting him in that uh, upper echelon of all time. Because that was his moment. Like, that was yeah. his season. Mm-hmm. It was all in, in his hands. And, um, you know, I, I love to just, you know, play that what-if game. I was always a fan of those Marvel Comics series, the what-if series. Sure. What yeah. if what if Pippen leads the Bulls to a title without Jordan? Absolutely.
0: And like you said, they were, they were a bad foul call away from getting the chance to do that. Yep. Uh, not to interrupt your thunder there, uh, and I know I did, You have raised the thing I think is the most uh, common criticism of Pippen. I think it is so profoundly hypocritical of NBA fans to hold that against Pippen. Here's Here's where I'm coming from on this. Now, Bill Simmons has made a similar argument in his book of basketball. And if anybody wants to go look it up, go read it. It's probably better than mine. But Scottie Pippen spent every year of his professional career watching Michael Jordan say the way that you know this is my team is that I have the ball when it matters. I may decide to pass, but I have the ball when it matters. And everybody in the world cheered for him because of that insistence that when the game was on the line, it is my right as the best player on this team to take that shot. And when Phil gives Kukoc that assignment, he's wrong. It is contrary to everything the Bulls had been about in the entire uh, time Michael Jordan had ruled the roost and hung banners for them. Pippen was right to demand that shot. What do we think Michael Jordan would have done if Phil Jackson had called the shot for Tony Kukoc and he wanted to take it? He might have torn Phil's throat out. All Scottie Pippen was doing was emulating the greatest player of all time who he knew better as a teammate than anyone else. He was right. Phil was wrong. And here's the deal we'd all know it if Tony had missed the shot. <laughs>
1: That's absolutely right. Did 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 Phil know something about Scotty? You know that we don't, or 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 not? I don't know. It doesn't you know?
0: matter. It, <laughs> that's the that's the thing. P- this is Pippin's team. He's the guy you're leaning on. He's the guy who's brought you this far after Jordan. He he's the guy. You were quite happy to do it for Michael. I love Phil Jackson and respect him, but he was wrong. That was Scotty's shot, and Scotty did the sanest thing possible to stand up for his own uh, place on that team. And again, if if Ku coach misses the shot, the historical narrative is entirely different. People are saying that should have been Scotty's shot. Make it or miss it, it should have been Scotty's. But Tony hits the shot, and everybody thinks Pippen is somehow a selfish player. Pippen is the most unselfish player that I know of, other than maybe Larry Bird in my lifetime, and all of. Of a sudden, him just acting like the Bulls have always acted when it was twenty three instead of thirty three. Now he's a selfish player. Get the heck out of here with that.
1: If it, if if the plays call for someone other than Coo Coach. Is just pip and go along with it. But everything that came out of the dream team book and documentary and everything with the signing of Kukoc and another cross problem because he, you know, he created it. Absolutely. Yeah. He, 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 he messed it up big time there, but you know, again, revisionist history and stuff, you know? Um, but I wonder if, again, if, if Phil sees something in the Knicks defense and he says, I think we can exploit this and get an open look for BJ Armstrong or for Horace Grant.
0: Doesn't matter. It's got to be in Pippen's Uh, hands.
1: You know what? I'm I'm not going to disagree with you, but I think it's the fact that Pippen didn't take the court in that moment where everyone gasps at.
0: Oh, for sure. But again, I'm just going to ask the question. Take 33 out, put 23 in. And Phil says, Scotty gets the shot. You know, Scotty was the first person that MJ named in his Hall of Fame acceptance speech. So I'm willing to believe that perhaps... MJ would have learned by the end of his time that, yeah, you know, it's probably a good idea for Scotty to take the shot because the defense is going to key on me. But let Phil say Tony's going to take the shot. And what, did, honest to goodness, it's a serious question. What do you guys think Jordan does?
1: If Jordan's in that situation, yeah well well Jordan would get the inbounds pass and never give it up.
0: I legitimately believe that's true he I really think he may steal the inbound play inbound.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he he would go to whoever's inbound the ball and threaten them
0: <laughs> he, yeah, I mean that's that that's probably true too. That's the other option where he goes to coup coach and he's like, that's all well and good, but give me the freaking ball, yeah. And so if I'm going to celebrate Jordan for that, and I do as a competitor, so again, contrast LeBron, I think LeBron's probably a healthier person. Jordan's the better individual basketball player and probably the better team basketball player, too, because he was so, you know, desirous of winning. This is what the Bulls celebrated and built their culture around. Pippen was right to assume that now it was his. Phil was in the but, ball.
1: But Pippen gave up that chance by not taking the court. He, he 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 didn't even get to threaten the teammate and say, give me the ball. Or take it away from the coup coach. Or, you know, whatever he would have done.
0: Yeah, I just don't think that's better. I don't think it's – I think it's in the same category to say, if y'all want to do that, go do it. So, a comparison. Um, you remember the game that LeBron wouldn't shoot against the Boston Celtics in the playoffs? Or, I mean, Kobe did this against the Phoenix Suns as well. He would not shoot in the fourth quarter. He just kept passing the ball. That's not better than Pippen saying, fine, y'all go do it. And so I, I think Scotty's absolutely in the right. I think if you could inject Phil Jackson with truth serum, he would say he's right too. He would say Scotty's right.
1: I wonder if I wonder if the documentary will touch any on this. You know, because this is this is the lost kind of season, at least, you know, within all this, because Jordan didn't play, you know, that's the next year where he comes back at the end of the season. Um I, I just wonder with all the footage, everything that they're kind of walking toward, obviously the ninety seven ninety eight is going to be the emphasis. But I wonder if they highlight this moving forward, and if so, how much, you know, or how little. Um I, I'm in intrigued to see what they do there um, what the filmmakers do do with that season
0: it's it, I mean great. anything that can highlight Scotty Pippen's greatness and help a new generation rediscover him I'm all for but you're gonna watch oh, me you're gonna see an, a mushroom cloud go up over Walling Tennessee if they start criticizing him for sitting out <laughs> that shot later on it was his shot <laughs> What were you going to say, Jared? I think I heard you speak. I, this. Uh,
2: something interesting. It's, it's, well, it's not off subject, but something interesting I saw or one stat I heard was they got every single person. I mean, this should tell you part of the reason Jordan is the goat. Um, every single person they tried to interview, they got. Nobody refused. Hmm. I mean, in the thousands of hours or however many hours of footage they had of the, of people. I mean, it's just crazy. It's it's um I think, it's, I think it's awesome. I think everybody – to me, that's the solidifying factor concerning Jordan being the GOAT is what everybody else who played with him or against him or coached him says about him. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. guys who are in the Hall of Fame, the 50 best players of all time, who do they say the GOAT is?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a strong one right now. I know because I've been following this stuff. There was a time Pippen famously said that um, LeBron was better. So Pippen – you know oh my goodness. Yeah. Pippin Pippin has said some crazy stuff about evaluating <laughs> talent.
1: But he's backed up on that, hasn't he? Yeah,
0: he's backed up. He's been inconsistent, but he did say it. Sure. Uh that's that's the definition to me though. Like the guys on both sides who played with him, you know, the, the guys who played, like the Larry Birds who were older when he came mm-hmm. in the league, or the Kobe's who came in when he was um when Jordan was older, he was their measuring stick. And they all basically they basically um like you said, Jared, they acknowledge that he's the goat. I will tell you, I heard I was listening to some Kobe Bryant podcasts uh, actually last week because I just hadn't after he died. And one was an interview where uh, it was on some of these player podcasts that have popped up, like Darius Miles and Q Rich have one and uh, Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes have another. So it was one of those. But he says that him and MJ talked often about what it would be like to play each other. He said, yeah, it was actually a, a fairly common conversation. And uh so yeah I think y'all probably know I was never the biggest Kobe fan but he said he was talking to Jordan the first time it came up and Jordan said I would have killed you <laughs> and Kobe uh-huh. Kobe on the podcast laughed and the the whoever the players were hosting the podcast they said what would you say to him and he said I told him rem- remember who you're talking to and it was the coolest comment I've ever heard and I just thought if you if you have played so well that you can tell MJ I know you think you'd kill me. I assume that you would think you could kill me, but just remember who you're talking to. And he said, MJ smiled at him and said, okay. And MJ say, yeah, I may not have been able to just kill you. I think you've had a pretty good run.
1: Uh-huh. There, There's a video clip from a camp um, that Michael Jordan was at, um, a basketball camp for kids. And uh, Chris Paul was there. So it may have been, you know, I guess it had to be post Jordan's career. And somehow Paul goats Jordan into saying, um, I'll... I'll give every kid in the camp a free pair of Jordans if I miss a shot. And he kind of does the around the world, you know, type thing, kind of spread out different spots on the court. And it's like six different shots. And Jordan with ice water in his veins knocks them all down. Yeah. I mean, you know, like isn't there their side of you where, you know, okay, you hit the five and then, you know what? It's for the kids. I'm going to miss this last one. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know what? going to send them all home with a free pair of air Jordans. It ain't going to cost me a thing, you know, yep. it's just kind of a, you know, we can even figure it out and, and what it costs for them to come to camp. We can kind of build this cost into it, maybe moving years down the road. And they actually bomb themselves. Like when we go to a pastor's conference and we think we get all these free books, we've actually paid for them, you know, their registration you know um but no jordan just gets a he, he nails all of them you know and you know you, party <laughs> wants to applaud and cheer party's like golly this guy hey had it in him yeah Terry,
2: point, point listeners to that uh that clip where it's that charity game and jordan is
1: spiking <laughs> spiking balls blocking oh, shots oh, uh, i'll have to find that yeah um it, it is a it is a charity game that goes way back um, into the um, mid to early age. Jordan is young. Larry Bird, it's like a, I think it's a three on three. It's a Kenny Rogers <laughs> basketball charity tournament. Speaking of the and GOAT, rest in peace. There there are three uh, NBA kind of legends. There's Dominique Wilkins, Michael Jordan, and Larry Bird. And they all have these teams of um, musicians, you know, entertainers. You know, John McEnroe plays with Larry Bird and is pretty good. Um, Jordan's team, is obviously not playing up to his expectations (laughs) and he just begins to go Uh, into a one man wrecking crew Um, and they they don't win they don't and Larry Bird's team ends up winning the tournament Um, and and who knows that may have been another reason why Larry put 63 on the Celtics in the 86 playoffs but um, it was around that time frame for sure but yeah go check it out it's a a Kenny Rogers charity basketball tournament that's got Dominique Wilkins Michael Jordan and Larry Bird is sort of the NBA captains of these teams and um, Jordan isn't giving an inch and and it's not just to Dominique (laughs) or to Larry Bird he's yeah yeah, he, he's he's blocking shots. I mean, it would it would be like us playing against like our kids when they were toddlers, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. no, he never
0: it. turned it off, man.
1: Yep, Roy Williams is right when he stepped on that court. You know, so no kids got free air Jordans and um no celebrity in, in uh, any Kenny Rogers basketball tournament had it easy when MJ was on the court.
0: <laughs> this is what I mean by modern mythology. This is like this is like the people sitting around be like, you remember when the, the Cyclops was destroying the city and Hercules <laughs> jumped up and plunged a sword in his eye? Like that.
1: that's what <laughs> and, we're doing. And Jeff, to your point, like it's not like. The legend is growing any greater than it actually was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is you know, not, it,
1: it's, it's not like, it's not like we can lie about this. You can go find old games everywhere. You know, you can go find the proof, you know. But in 93, when Jordan spins baseline on the Knicks and dunks on the entire Knicks franchise, franchise. organization, you know, Willis Reed eventually grabbed his calf again because Jordan <laughs> tore it off the bone <laughs> in, in that dunk, you know. Um, I mean, like it, it happened. Yeah. Um, it's, it's and, documented. And, 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 And and we can look at, you know, you guys were talking about the GOAT status. We can look at the Hall of Famers who can sit back and say, he kept me from a title. The sure. Malone Stockton, the Barkley, you know, the, those guys, you know, immediately jumped to us. The Patrick Ewings that in another era at another time, golly, they were good enough to get titles. Mm-hmm. They absolutely were good enough to get titles. Uh-huh. And yet the same roadblock stood in front of all of them. Man, I, I wasn't cheering against the 95, 96 Bulls um, when they'd won the '72 games, but I enjoyed watching the Supersonics with Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. Oh, yeah, man. Young I Sean mean, I, Kemp I, is you know, a I mean, I was. You know, man, I, you know, I was Jordan and the Bulls and Pippen and all that. But, you know, a side of me would have been like, man, it'd be kind of cool to see these young guys get it. And I, I knew based on what Jordan had done to Penny Hardaway and Shaq that had they won, Jordan would have been coming back for them with an intensity level, mm-hmm. you know, that we've probably never seen on the basketball court. Um, so, 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 you know, just all those teams through that era that didn't get a title, you know, because of him. And uh, Jared, you referenced Rodman earlier. It's interesting. Um John Sally, Dennis Rodman, James Buda Edwards, those are three former Pistons right there who got another ring or two or three because of MJ. And, and and even to see the bad boys, to see some of them make the no doubt business decision, you know, to to go to Chicago, but also to go play for a title, to play with this guy who... You know, they had had a system in which they thought they could stop him. And then, you know, as we're going to see probably in episodes three and four, Jordan um, changes his um, game a little bit and he changes his workout habits and stuff because uh, of the physicality that the Detroit Pistons bring into um, games against him. And it ends up making him even better, you know, um, I think, um, you know, because he couldn't just get to the goal and dunk on everyone um, forever. I think that Pistons team and that system ends up leading to the creation of MJ. We see winning the last three titles mm-hmm. shooting. Yeah, yeah the, the genesis was there, you know, that I can't that eventually my body will not allow me to get to the goal anytime I want. And I've got to begin to continue to hone my skills and um, even enlarge them from what they already are. And again, that, that goes back to the Williams quote. They didn't turn it off.
0: To, uh, to bring this thing full circle and be my last comment on the documentary, uh, you were right that that kid on the bench uh, who Jordan would not celebrate with was Scott Burrell, not Dickie Simpkins. They look nothing alike, and I'm hanging my head in shame. <laughs> but the best story I have heard reading about stuff coming into uh, this documentary concerns Scott Burrell. Uh, apparently, at some point in practice, Burrell had challenged Jordan to one-on-one and had gotten up on him by several points. So... Uh, Jordan comes back and manages to beat Burrell, uh, you know, kind of a much thinner margin than anybody would expect. And so Scott Burrell says, no, let's play again. And Jordan says, yeah, I bet you want to play again. If you beat me, you'll be telling your grandkids that you beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. What am I going to tell them? I'm going to tell my grandkids I
1: beat Scott Burrell? (laughs) That's great. He's just savage, man.
0: He's just savage.
1: And 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 some of that type of stuff, like it'll, we will see it emerge more. I think Phil Jackson was great for Jordan in a lot of ways. In particular, obviously that he can't do it all by himself, and he's got to be able to trust his teammates at certain times. Burrell, one of the stories I read come into it is they talk about how Jordan really was hard on Burrell. uh, I guess in this one season they were together, and yet part of it was him pushing. Him that at some point we're going to need you. And I believe it was in the playoff run. Burrell drops 23 in one of their games and helps them win um, that particular game um, in that playoff run that Here, that's documented during the last dance. He did it with Kerr. You know, Jordan, obviously there was some type of understanding with Rodman. Um, and I think he probably learned a lot from Jackson about managing the players around him. Um And, you know, knowing that, okay, yes, I'm better than all these guys, but we can't win, which is the ultimate objective. I can't win it without them.
2: Jared, any closing thoughts? No, I I just remember a similar story as you told Jeff. I can't remember who the rookie was. I don't want to say it was Burrell, um, but it was when Jordan was retired. Yeah. And he came back and played.
0: I can't remember who it was. The guy was running his mouth. Yeah. Um, So this is actually in the ESPN story on Michael Jordan turning 50. And they is when he owned the Bobcats uh, and the Hornets now. But anyway, they had a young product from Duke who was very athletic. And his name is escaping me now. I'll have to go back and look at it. But he was he was an NBA swingman, probably played small forward. Um, is it Benjamin? I can't remember. I really can't remember right now. I have to look it up. And, and listener, you can find it in the ESPN article, too. Um, but he, he was an athletic kid, um, uh, You know, had reached veteran status three or four years in the league. And he was talking it up with Michael, challenging him. And so Michael Jordan, at 50 years old, says, fine, let's do it. And so I can't remember if it was the same day or the next day. They lace him up. Jordan works him and beats him uh, in convincing fashion. And, you know, everybody's marveling. But they said in the story that Jordan was in the trainer's room doing uh, ice baths and heat sessions for like three or four days afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that's what he told the guy doing the story. He said, you know, I can still do some stuff, but this is what it cost me. And so I don't think Jordan could... I don't think he could do that over a prolonged time frame at that level, mm-hmm. but I think it speaks to his genetic profile and just how competitive. Like he, he really would tear his arm off to beat you with it, you know.
1: <laughs> Those
0: stories he, are he, awesome,
1: though. He, man. He, he would tear your arm off and beat you, and beat with, you with it. it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somewhere, Steve Kerr just flinched. <laughs> he didn't know if uh, he didn't know if somebody was talking about Jordan or China, but he flinched. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. And, and I think we saw we saw glimpses of that even when Jordan was playing for the Wizards. Yeah. You know, there there were nights where it was like, wow, this is the same old Mike. But, you know, Father Tom in sports catches up with you. Father Time is undefeated. And, you know, no matter who, um, you know, and um, I, I think from that competitive standpoint, we certainly can, uh, I think, look at Kobe Bryant as one of those that um, had a competitive drive similar to, to Jordan. And, and just his determination to win at all costs. But in Kobe's latter years, we had, you know, Jeff, like you said, a franchise that revered him and wanted him to never leave them, even if it meant basically sacrificing, you know, the um, a, a few years uh, of winning. But they also gave Kobe the green light as a scorer. Can you imagine if, if Jordan would have had another year or two and – and they literally gave him the green light like he had as a rookie or a young player. Just, man, you know what, MJ, you you can never get more than your career high of 69. Like, <laughs> what, what What if they have said, you know what, Jordan, you're so great. You've never even sniffed Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. Like, what if they would have yeah. ever done that? And just, just given, you know, what if Jordan had a stretch in his latter career where they said, you know what, just go see how many you can get tonight? Because Kobe cool. had that, you know. Kobe did have that, you know. Kobe's final game. I mean, guys are passing wide open looks to mm-hmm. give 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 the great Kobe Bryant a shot. You know, um, it just it, it's intriguing to think again. Well, what if and and yet would he have been so frustrated with the notion that? We're, we're not winning yeah. if that were the setting that he he wouldn't he wouldn't respond like we think he would.
0: Yeah, that's actually yeah. what I was going to say. I, that's not a backhanded shot at Kobe. I just think Jordan would have been disgusted by the charade charade of it all, you know, and uh, it's OK that Kobe wasn't. But I just don't think I think Jordan would have been out trying his hand as an owner or baseball or, you know, he would have found something that wasn't um, artificial. Just my two cents.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, and what this, um, what this is doing, it's not only showing us old highlights and stirring up those things again, we're, we're having these prolonged conversations just about, you know, the, the, the greatness of Jordan and, and what, what things would have looked like, you know, had it been different. Um, Yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to, to talk through these things and to, you know, you know, like we said, our kids get to watch this and. You know, see, hey, here's here's what all the fuss is about. Um, when we when we talk about Michael Jordan,
0: (laughs) yep. Except for the Dennis Rodman stuff, yeah. So, guys, three hours every every uh, following every set of episodes. We good for that right now? Just sign us up.
1: (laughs) I'm game. (laughs) Okay. That was
0: our fun. Yeah. Hey, nobody I'd rather talk it over with, fellas. Uh, Terry, where can our listeners find you on the interwebs?
1: Uh, Check me out on Twitter at Terry F T U R O I. Terry F.
0: Indeed. And Dr. Moore, tell us all the good stuff you got going on. Uh, You can find me on Jared H. Moore at Twitter. Um,
2: Please check out my articles on monergism. And I've got an article dropping soon on the Founders blog. Um, so check that out. I'm responding to Matthew Lee Anderson. And um, you can find me on Facebook at All Truth is God's Truth. And I've got a book coming out in
0: September called The Pop Culture Parent. Uh, check that out as well. Awesome stuff. I need you to go at Matthew Lee Anderson like Jordan Wynn at Kwame Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm not kidding, but I don't expect you to agree to do that. So I am at Right Jeff on most social media platforms. This podcast is at PCCD Pod on those same platforms. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, in particular, we have a Facebook group, The Pop Culture Quorum Deo Perpetual After Party. Uh, that's one of the good reasons to use Facebook. We'd love to talk over anything you've heard on the podcast or anything you want to talk with us about. So uh, meet us in there, guys. We will be we will be back very soon with more content from uh, the Pop Culture Quorum Deo Sports Quorum. Deo family of podcasts. Um, On the way out, on behalf of Terry Felton and Jared Moore, I'm going to remind you to live every moment as if you are before the face of God, because you are. Amen. Amen. Talk to you guys later.
2: Did he Didn't Jordan try to dunk From the three point line In one of those uh, I don't know Yeah I don't I, I can't imagine But he missed the he, he hit the I mean he got to the rim But it hit the back From the three point line
0: are Jared You're, you're Jared, on the cocaine Jared. Traveling road show <laughs>
1: Jared, Jared, you're thinking of Space Jam. Space Jam the movie. That was, that was Bill Murray. That was Bill
0: Murray. Yeah. Guys, I'm almost certain. You, all all right, I phone? cannot countenance that until you send me a link.
1: Yeah, dude, you, you got to prove link Linker got to prove didn't something. happen. Yeah. Okay,
0: I got to find it. If I find it, y'all owe me money somehow. If you find it, uh, we're going to have to reevaluate human capacities. It's going to be a major <laughs> scientific breakthrough.
1: Gracious. But I will buy so, you
0: a pizza or whatever.